Hello everybody and welcome finally to episode 11 of the Chief Librarian Podcast. I am your host and Chief Librarian, Chris Morgan. And boy, as appropriate for a Why I Love Space Wolves episode, this one nearly broke my back. It's fitting, therefore, that after much ado, much audio shenanigans, and quite a bit of editing work that I finally get this out, I basically just kind of got it to the point where perfect is the enemy of good. It's better to finally get something out for you guys. And then hopefully this also means that the next episode that's coming out very quickly after will come out very quickly after because my soul will have been restored. So far as content is concerned, much like the last Why I Love episode, I have a couple of big fans of the Space Wolf faction who agreed to come onto the show and talk to me at length about the things they love about the faction. I additionally have a bunch of pictures, and I was able to play a game against Scott with his Space Wolves in 9th Edition 40k to help give me some in-game context as opposed to just the, the lore context from the books that I've been reading, which... I will talk plenty about in the segments themselves. By way of announcements, the basement project is still running apace. Thankfully, I have some very diligent people who are helping me with it, and I expect that probably by the end of July, the basement will be done, and I'll likely be able to have my setup downstairs where I can record, fingers crossed, free from interruption from small children also hoping to have this recorded and done and edited and sent off to Frontline before this weekend's War Games for Warriors event, which normally I would have been talking your ears off about much, much earlier if I'd been able to get the show out. So my apologies to that event. It's a small miracle that I'm actually even able to attend this year considering everything that's been going on, but thankfully I have a very supportive wife in this hobby who more or less demanded that I take some time for myself after everything that's been going on, and I'm very grateful to have her. So far as other announcements are concerned, of course, tickets for the LVO went up on sale. I am going to be returning to LVO next year as the head painting judge. I'm building a new rubric for that. I plan to do a little bit of a an explanation on that in a future episode. What, what does that mean, head painting judge? Well, the rubric and everything involved with the hobby scores at LVO is getting a bit of a revamp, and that's not just a Blood Angels joke. So that we can have a more fine-tuned and consistent way of judging armies, I'm really excited about it. I'm very deep in the development of this and hope to have some more information for you guys soon. Other than that, one of the nice things that Frontline has decided to do is to add a wee bit of an affiliate link. So... You'll notice in the description to this video, there is a link to the web store for Frontline Gaming. If you click on that link, it helps support this show. And I'm really happy to be able to support them and drive traffic to their website because really none of this would have been possible without them. And I'm very grateful to Frontline for that as well. So if you'd like to support me, if you would like to support the show, click on the link, buy something cool. I recently did a purchase of some used death company models from the secondhand shop that I wanted to, I basically wanted to have some death company models on foot. And there is a semi-secret reason for this that you'll be hearing about in the coming months. Of course, this is a very long-term project that I have in mind. So, you know, just kind of 
think to yourself, imagine, why would he need Bolter Bro Foot Death Company? Hmm. I wonder if you'll find out. Better roll for Feel No Pain because the secrets and the suspense are surely killing you. Hobby progress for me has, of course, been fairly limited as I have no hobby space to progress in. That being said, I have made, you know, a series of what would we call them? A Carl Tuttle accomplishments where I have made purchases towards future projects. Not to a great extent. Well, that's a lie. I totally went in on the Horus Heresy stuff. It must be said. I spent way too much money on the release for the Horus Heresy 2.0. I'm very excited to get my hands on it and hopefully to start playing games in that universe. And especially since the majority of the models that I have rescued from storage are 30k. And uh, it's, it's pretty funny because the War Games for Warriors list that I'm bringing... It's basically a bunch of my 30k collection and Mephiston. So we're talking the Principia Marines, which many people call the Firstborn, the non-Primaris, uh, compose the majority of my army list for this coming weekend, which may be this last weekend, depending on when you listen to this. Either way, I'm actually kind of stoked to be you know, repping the old guard. I have a real soft spot. For the old style Marines, which I'm sure that you guys will hear a little bit more about as time goes on. So far as the segments for today's episode go, I have a very long segment with Dr. Chris Nahumuk, who graciously offered his thoughts and feelings on the Space Wolves as a longtime player and an accomplished hobbyist with his own sort of custom, very Fenrisian wolfy take on his army. I'll have some pictures of that that go up as we talk about it in the segment. And then, of course, there is Scott Rumpel, a multi-year, I think the sole and only, over the last several years, hobby track champion for the Space Wolves, a guy who has been repping the Wolves with incredible skill on the paint table and the gaming table in this area. I had just a wonderful time playing a game with him and sitting down to talk to him. I'm going to just warn you in advance, though, on top of the many audio issues that I have had to deal with in the course of making this episode, unfortunately, some of the contractors that I had did not leave in time for when they said they would, and because of that, you're likely going to be hearing some construction going on in the Faying, so to speak, as Scott and I talk. So I apologize for that. It was either recorded and let him have the chance to talk about why he loves Space Wolves and have some hammers in the background, or maybe not have it at all. I decided to keep that, but if that's something that bothers you, I'm just going to apologize in advance. Normally, I try to keep the audio much cleaner. It's one of the reasons I spent hours, literally hours, trying to make this sound as good as I could for you. So my apologies for the ways that it didn't work, but I hope that you enjoy the episode anyway. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about why I love Space Wolves.
As a primer for the following Space Wolf conversations, I figured I'd go in and talk a little bit about the Space Wolves, their history, and their role in the 41st millennium. In the beginning, there were no Space Wolves. They were simply the Sixth Legion, side by side with the Salamanders and the Alpha Legion. The early Space Wolves were among what was called a Trefoil Legion. Not seeing much action or even any action during the Unification Wars themselves, this Sixth Legion was held back by the Emperor and their first deployment was under his watchful gaze. Prior to their reunion with their Primarch, Lehman Russ, they already displayed what would be considered some of the trademark feral savagery for close shock assaults that they would later become extremely well known for. They also displayed very little in terms of discipline and had a nasty habit of having civilian casualties alongside their military campaigns. After several engagements like this, a new consul officer specific to the 6th Legion was created. This was called the Consul Obsequiari, and they were, for lack of a better term, an enforcement arm of the Space Wolf Legion. Wearing the Raptor Imperialis on their shoulder, these warriors were empowered to the extreme degree to enforce discipline within the 6th Legion, up to and including killing other battle brothers. There was very little paperwork for this process, leaving these officers empowered to kill as many as they felt was necessary with impunity. Often deployed in punitive or hunting missions, they would snuff out rebellions and eliminate key targets in urban environments, often traveling in small numbers alongside larger forces of the Imperial Army and other Space Marine Legions. It would not be long, however, until they were reunited with their Primarch, Lehman Russ. Lehman Russ was the second Primarch found by the Emperor, the first one being Horus, who, according to the quote-unquote official document, was either on Terra the whole time, or was found so early after their separation that it didn't really seem to matter. Either way, when Lehman Russ was found on the feral world of Fenris, everything changed for Horus and, of course, for the Sixth Legion. The coming of Lehman Russ heralded a stabilization of sorts for the Gene Seed, and the integration of what is their characteristic trait, so far as the Gene line is concerned, the Canis Helix. As with all other legions that were reunited with their Primarchs, the Space Wolves had a little bit of instability beforehand, and by extracting some of the genetic material from their Primarch, a stabilization and a completion of their incomplete gene seed was attained. Genetics were only one part of the big changes that would come across the Sixth Legion, which had earned the nickname The Route for its ability to send enemies packing and fleeing. The character of the world Fenris would come to dominate the culture of the Sixth Legion. For whatever reason, the Emperor agreed to allow Lehman Russ to keep his world outside of the typical Imperial truth control that was exerted on many of the other worlds and many of the Legion worlds. Lehman Russ was given special consideration with the building of his fortress monastery, known as the Fang, and the Fenris system was given over completely to the autonomy of the Space Wolves. Of course, only outsiders referred to them as the Space Wolves, with the name the Filka Fenirica being loosely translated into Space Wolves by Imperial scholars. 
It's very typical of those in the Sixth Legion to not really care too much what others think of them. However, speak the name in their presence, and you are certainly to earn their ire. In a series of, perhaps, educational ironies, doing so would make you seem ill-educated or stupid among a legion of warriors that is generally considered to be uneducated and barbaric. It was very clear that the Emperor had specific tasks in mind for the Sixth Legion and for Lehman Russ, who, of course, on his first meeting with Horus, challenged him to a fight to see if he could win. They would refer to themselves often as the Emperor's executioners, those who would go and do his bidding against any target, friendly or otherwise. Fenris itself has a strange role in the history of the Sixth Legion. It is implied at some point during the Dark Age of Technology. Somebody with an incredible amount of technology and a really, really unhealthy love for Norse mythology decided to create a world that would embody the different aspects of those myths, almost like it became a Viking playground. The planet's orbit was altered, and it became an almost inhospitable place of ice and fire with a strange orbital trajectory that left long months of winter, followed by short months of tectonic upheaval. Intense heat would be generated as the planet came closer and closer to the sun, with the landscape and everyone who dwelt upon it in a constant state of flux so that they could evade the roaring seas and the bursting volcanic activity of a world never truly at rest. Creatures such as the Fenrisian wolves and trolls, ogres, and any number of mythical beasts appeared on its surface. I say appeared, but it is more likely to say that they were designed and placed there. The culture and language of all of the different tribes of people warring against the environment and each other, using primitive tools never really getting beyond the Iron Age, all harkens back to the age of the Viking from Terran history right down to the longships, raiding, and all of the creatures. The Space Wolves put upon themselves the raiment of Valkyries, traveling and watching the tribes battle each other, and taking nigh-wounded-unto-death young warriors from the battlefield to be raised as Adeptus Astartes. But where many of the Space Marine Legions override the customs and the cultures of those who they ascend to the ranks of Space Marine, the Space Wolves instead add to this culture, maintaining oral traditions mixed in with the technological advancement that comes from being some of the more favored sons of the Emperor. This contrast between a primitive quote-unquote barbarian society and a space-faring technological race bent on ruling the galaxy is something of a constant theme and no one exemplified this better than Lehman Russ. As with all Primarchs, he was incredibly powerful, both in presence, in mind, and in deed. But there was something different about Russ, the lord of winter and war. He wore a savage, feral aspect around many, including most of his brothers, who never saw past the facade he put up. On the inside, he was always trying to reconcile how intelligent he was, the differences between what the tribes of Fenris believed and what the Imperium taught, and how he could try to make those things work together 
in service of the emperor. Lehman Russ's extreme loyalty and his dedication to do whatever it was that his father asked of him led to, of course, several conflicts with some of his other brothers. While Horus was off earning glory in easy campaigns, it was the Space Wolves, along with the Dark Angels and a couple legions we don't talk about, who were fighting in the Rangdon Xenocides and suffered incredible losses in that war. There are even rumors that there was rebellion among one of those lost legions and that the Space Wolves were sent there to get them back on the right path, so to speak. The truth of it is not known for sure, but it seems very likely that this was the case. So it should come as little surprise, then, that when the Thousand Suns crossed the line and broke the Emperor's law, that it was the Space Wolves, their longtime rivals, and a legion who the Emperor knew would obey his commands, who were sent to deal with the problem. This would be the defining conflict of the Sixth Legion in the opening acts of the Horus Heresy. Sent to apprehend Magnus and bring him back in chains, Horus, fresh off his treachery on Davin, intercepted the Space Wolves and told them that Magnus had declared himself in open rebellion of the Emperor, commanding Lehman Russ as War Master not to bring Magnus back in chains, but instead to exterminate him and his entire legion. Russ trusted his brother's word implicitly, and came out of the warp screaming alongside the punitive host that was assembled for the incarceration of Thousand Sons. The burning of Prospero would prove to be a tragic and cataclysmic event, and while the Space Wolves proved victorious, it came at great cost to their legion, and Lehman Russ breaking Magnus's back across his knee only served to punctuate the tragic fall of the loyal Thousand Sons into rebellion. The Sixth Legion would go on to have long drawn-out conflicts with the Alpha Legion, and then finally with the Sons of Horus, where Russ, attempting to solve the problem of Horus on his own, ended up incurring incredible wounds at the hands of his ascended brother, and was left out of commission for the remainder of the Horus Heresy. Arriving on Terra after the Emperor's wounding and the death of Sanguinius, Russ was overcome by the tragedy of the events of the siege. His legion participated in the scouring, seeing the traitors banished to the Eye of Terror. Russ himself disappeared shortly after, promising to come back in the end of days. And no, I'm not willingly going to call it the wolf time if I can avoid it. Nevertheless, without Russ to guide them, the traditions of Fenris overwhelmed the Legion. While they never truly accepted the tenets of the Codex Astartes as their own, preferring their own independent way of organizing the same way they did in the Legion days, the losses that they suffered during the Scouring and the Heresy itself, coupled with the incredible amount of conflict that they always threw themselves at, meant that they were never really too far above chapter strength anyway. And while they were never exactly Codex compliant, their battle honors and their record of war on behalf of the All-Father's realm was without question. Well, to most, anyway. Over the course of the next 10,000 years, the Space Wolves threw themselves into conflict after conflict after conflict, maintaining their independence, preserving their ways, but also keeping the glory of the Imperium and the safety of its citizens close to their hearts. 
Many an Imperial Guard regiment would smile at the thought of having Space Wolf reinforcements. Of course, especially as the Ecclesiarchy became to be a great power in the Imperium, the independence and the hmm, insular traditions of the Space Wolves and their tribesmen on, on the feral planet of Fenris definitely caused some, shall we say, hard feelings among members of the Church. Over the course of the millennia, the Ecclesiarchy has often sent either missionary or punitive or expeditionary fleets of ascents to Fenris to bring them in line. Of course, the mighty fortifications of this world battered them back bloody every time. Conflict between the Ecclesiarchy and the Space Wolves was not uncommon, but they also butted heads against the Inquisition from time to time. In one of their more notable wars on the world of Armageddon, the Space Wolves assisted the Grey Knights with the banishment of Angron, the demon Primarch. As the Wolves learned that these loyal souls who had stood their ground and defended against the demonic onslaught were to be put through a, shall we say, greater punishment than was deserved, they were all going to be killed. They quickly ordered them all out, sent them back across the length and breadth of the Imperium, in an attempt not only to save their lives from the Inquisition, but also to spit in the eyes of the Inquisition for what they considered to be a gross ill reward for the legendary heroic deeds of their mortal counterparts. This certainly had the desired effect of creating some enmity between the Space Wolves and the Inquisition, and the Inquisition just hunted down all of those people and everyone they talked to anyway and killed them, because this is the Inquisition. If we were to speak outside of the lore for a moment and talk about the Space Wolves on the tabletop, their archetypal enemy from many of the box sets and many of their own stories are the Orcs. It is often in many different box sets that you'll find a new Space Wolf character such as Crom Dragon Gaze facing off against an Orc war boss in a campaign. And of course, most recently, the upgraded version of the Primaris Ragnar Blackmane facing off against the Orc Gazkul Thraka. The modern Space Wolves have a bevy of heroes, most of them who are themed off of mythological gods or characters from Norse mythology. Logan Grimnar is like Odin. Njal the Stormcaller is very much like Njord, who is god of the seas and the storms in Norse mythology. Logan's bodyguard is a space wolf with a thunder hammer that returns to his hand when thrown. My personal favorite is Lucas the Trickster, who is most certainly a Loki archetype. Thematically as well, on top of the Viking theme, which is more heavily focused on in the novels, there is the wolf theme, the Canis Helix, the thing that makes Space Wolves a mixture of different aspects of fantasy and history. The Space Wolves' genetic code can sometimes lead them to become, what would you say, rabid, perhaps? The Wolfen are an iconic unit of Space Wolves that are basically... Space Marines who have succumbed to a genetic curse of sorts, turning them into werewolf space marines. Inasmuch as the term space wolf may not be hmm, politically correct when speaking to space wolves, it is nevertheless a term, wolf, 
that ends up in so much of their army and unit composition. Instead of scouts, they have power-armored blood claws, raw and savage and unruly. Their lightning claws are often wolf claws. Their unique flyer is a storm wolf. They ride on Thunderwolf cavalry. And let's not forget the mighty Dreadnought Murderfang. Despite some of the silliness of their naming conventions, which is something that is often agreed even among their fans to be a little excessive at times, the Space Wolves nevertheless are a fun chapter. Their devil may care, we'll do what we want, we honor our traditions, we fight well, all of these aspects of them, including the obviously cool references to Norse mythology, make this an incredibly popular chapter, especially as they're willing to give the middle finger, so to speak, to the Inquisition and the Ecclesiarchy. And as we prepare for the hmm, end of the universe, it's nice to know that the Space Wolves are at hand to drink some Yod and remind us of the joy of battle. With that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into the sagas of the Space Wolves for today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to a very... Hmm, wolfy episode of the chief librarian podcast i am your chief librarian chris morgan and i am very happy to welcome chris nahumic to the show today how are you chris i'm doing well yourself oh man it every day is another beautiful disaster so i don't know how many of you are aware but i did do a series of mental health articles and chris was a major help and source of information i interviewed him about mental health and the hobby and that's how we kind of got to know each other, I would say, a little bit better than just the, the online talk. But throughout the last several years, Chris has been sending me progress pictures of his heavily converted and made with love Space Wolves Army. And when I did my first like Why I Love episode for the Dark Angels, and it's very fitting that I do the wolves next. But when I did that episode, he sent me a message and was like, dibs. Dibs on Space Wolves, so here he is. Chris, tell everybody a little bit why you enjoy the Space Wolves as a faction so much. Well, I think the, the thing that drew me to them the most was uh, they just seemed the most interesting when I started playing back in 2000. They, the, the character and the background was a little bit more cartoonish back then. Um, oh, for they sure. were the, the, what was it, the, the William King uh, Ragnar series, which was interesting and fun. And it kind of showed the process of like how a human being would become a, a space Marine. Uh, and I think it's only gotten more rich and well-developed since then in, in the lore. Um, and you know, space Marines themselves look really cool and space wolves are really, you know, werewolf Viking space Marines. And who doesn't want to play werewolf Viking space knights well, running around with axes and <laughs> riding giant wolves and all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, there you've touched on some really interesting aspects of the fantasy for space wolves. And 
if for people who know me in my day to day life, I am nuts for Viking theme stuff. I started reading the, the Icelandic sagas when I was in junior high school, which nobody else was doing. We were all studying like Greek, Roman, Egyptian mythologies, nary a whisper of Norse mythology, but I was hooked on it right from the get go. Used to like go to weird bookstores in Seattle and try and track down, you know, a book of lost myths or something. That was like my thing, and I still am very, very deep into that culture. Did some genealogy, and I'm actually related. This is according to what my parents were able to find out. I'm related to Rollo, who was a famous Viking founder of the you know the Normandy, or, or the Normans. Right. Um, he's one of my ancestors. So that was kind of an, an interesting like hook in. And so knowing all that, it seems like I should have gone for Space Wolves like I went for Blood Angels, right? Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Also, you know, maybe you wanted something a little different. Something that you don't uh, have quite the same personal connection with to expand yourself into something different. Maybe. And but there Maybe. was always like a couple of things that were just holding me back from really engaging with the Space Wolves in the way that I, I guess I kind of imagined for myself. And I wasn't, I don't consider myself to be like a supremely creative person. And I always get kind of lost in analysis paralysis when designing my own faction. And I get a little bit married to established lore when it's like, well, Space Wolves don't have any successor chapters. It's like, ah, oh, well, I can't make my own. Of course I could have, Right. But mm -hmm. the, you know, the wanting to respect the established lore version of Chris, who has a father who's a military historian who paints all of his miniatures in the exact colors of the uniforms at the time, is like, well, that wouldn't be historically accurate. Um, that, that is a ball and chain that I placed on my own ankle. But I always struggle to engage with the wolfiness of mm. space wolves. And yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that because it is like you like you mentioned in the William King days, it, it is kind of campy and cheesy, uh, but it can also like there's a real attachment that many people have to that sort of thing. And I don't want to make fun of that at all. Uh, in fact, William King wrote excellent Godric and Felix books. Uh, I'm still yeah. enjoying those uh, as they come out on Audible. Good stuff. All around. So tell me a little bit about like the things about your faction that you have to reconcile a little bit or what or if you don't have to at all and why? Well, I think one of the things that most people find really frustrating uh, is the unoriginality of the naming conventions of things in the codex when it comes to the rules and how things are are laid out. It's, you know, everything's frost, everything's murder, everything's tooth, everything's claw, everything's wolf, wolf, you know, wolf this, wolf that. You know, we have murder fang. This is wolf and dreadnought that runs around, you know, and it, it ends up being very, like, repetitive over and over again. And, you know, that's something you don't really see in the novelizations of things and, and those descriptions of things. They tend to be more, uh, more interesting and more, uh, more complex and varied. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, but I think, you know, it, it lets people kind of lean into more of the camp if they want. Um, but for me, that kind of stuff annoys me a little bit. But I kind of just roll with it because it lets me, you know, play with the toy soldiers that I want to play with and, and tell the story I want to I want to tell. Which, incidentally, um, I don't do one of the uh, 12 great companies 
um, of the Space Wolves, and I don't do the 13th company that everybody else tries to do to be, uh, you know, their special unique snow, snowflake like we uh, all want to be. I actually do something that I consider to still be lore consistent, but it's also my own take on things, which is, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but uh, there's these things called great hunts where... Uh, the Space Wolves will go out and search for um, news of their Primarch or they're given them kind of like this vision quest from their Primarch to go and do something. Um, and so my, my own specific chapter is kind of like a successor chapter that is, you know, a returned, lost, great hunt that has been lost to time until recently. And they're more of a crusading force of uh, the remnants of this this lost great hunt that now has you know, return to space and, you know, has the Primaris uh, reinforcements and, and is off doing their things. So they call themselves that. one uh, one thing and, you know, the Imperium calls them something else. So they call themselves the Black Moon Hunt after, you know, their original Great Hunt. And uh, but the Imperium knows them as the Void Jackals because uh, they don't have their own manufacturing thing. So they'll kind of come on a place and kind of cannibalize what's there to use for the, for themselves. and, and as they're defending uh, humanity and move on. So, you know, you can still have something that's unique in yours and still be space wolves. It's just that it would be consistent with the lore, but it's kind of still your own thing that doesn't have to be you know, one of the 12 great companies. Yeah, I mean, that that's an excellent tie-in. And I I can feel your pain a little bit on the wolfy thing. I, I have to you know, own it a little bit. There's a lot of blood things in my book. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it happens. Yeah. And so much so that they actually started like scaling things back because I used to have mm-hmm. blood fists for my dreadnoughts and blood talons for, you know, other dreadnoughts. And now it's like Furioso fist instead. You know, so they've, they've like, mm-hmm. tried to scale it back a little bit for mine, but I was there. I remember. I remember. Yeah, they lean hard. <laughs> so I, I think that that's an excellent way of tying in like how you made something your own and taking a little bit of lore character from mm-hmm. an item, a something, you know, a vision quest. It's, it's very heroic and, and heroism and the idea, like this is where some of like the, the appeal for me comes in for this faction is the sort of heroic saga, the heroic journey stuff. I mean, I, I love reading, the the poem you know the Beowulf poem I have actually Tolkien's mm-hmm. translation that he won an award for that's what made him famous in the educational community was he did a a very accurate translation of the the saga of Beowulf so I have that I love to read that but it is you know very much a a call to adventure thing and there's something very call to adventure about the space wolves so let's let's talk a little bit let's let's go back in time, I guess you could say, uh, there's a lot of stuff in the beginning of Warhammer 40k that is just like, all right, we're gonna you know put a dash of this trope, we're gonna spread a little bit of that trope on top, we're gonna smush it in a a a codex sandwich, and we're going to be referential and silly about everything. And then it got very popular, and people started taking it seriously. But so far as in the timeline, like the setting, I think more than almost any other chapter of Space Marines or Mm -hmm. Legion of Space Marines, the character of the Space Wolves' homeworld 
reflects so much not only on their traditions but also acts as this sort of bastion of odd independence in a very tightly controlled imperium talk to me a little bit about Fenris and talk about like the origins of it and how it shapes the character of of the space wolves tell me tell me how you how you read that uh, well, there's some interesting stuff there. What I would say is um, it depends on at what point in the lore you're looking at, but because we happen to be looking at it now, we can take advantage of everything that exists in uh, the Horus Heresy time period, uh, especially the uh, the black books that were produced by Forge World to go with the Horus Heresy uh, game. Um, and particularly, there's a really interesting kind of discussion in there of Fenris kind of seeming like it shouldn't exist the way that it does. Uh, Fenris itself is, um, you know, the main planet in this system that happens to have this really long, strange um, orbit. So there are times, you know, most people think of Fenris as like this ice death world, and it is a death world. Uh, but in truth... Um, the, the ice is just for the winter time. And then there's other times where it gets closer to, uh, the sun and things heat up. A lot of the ice melts and it ends up being these sparsely populated islands where people are going from island to island to, to try to survive. And that's the, the native population, um, on Fenris that doesn't really know about, uh, the wider Imperium and doesn't. Uh, really know who the space wolves are or the Vilka Fenrika. Um, they just think of them as the, the sky warriors that sometimes they see uh, and occasionally will come and like collect their, their fallen uh, warriors and uh, who've died in battle. And so um, one of the interesting things that's actually remarked on in the, the black book is that it seems constructed because there's too many like, apex predators to exist in one ecosystem yeah. so it seems constructed to be uh more dangerous and and, and deadly uh and uh the emperor himself uh in uh, wolf spain uh speaks he's speaking to horus and says it's an interesting experiment on oh now i'm forgetting the actual phrase i apologize like mythological geoengineering, something like that. Yeah. Where he alludes to the right. fact that it's like somebody did this and it's kind of interesting. Um, and I think there's an interesting thing about that with Fenris that actually speaks to kind of how I see the wolves as they really are, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I don't mind the caricaturization is because I think that's intentional. I actually think they're supposed to be that. And you see elements of that in the Horus heresy. And it's something that because they don't have a written history, everything is oral tales. The truth of who they are has been lost. And so they have become the caricature rather than it being something they are pretending to be. Yeah, at least in their case, right? Maybe not so much in Russ's case, but we'll we'll talk a little bit more about you know how sure. torn he feels between you know, the, uh, we'll call it the noble savage trope. You know, the fact mm -hmm. that he is actually a lot, a lot deeper than the bloodthirsty Berserk that right. he is made out to be. 
but how he can make that persona be useful to everyone around him and to, mm-hmm. to himself. You know, it's nice to be underestimated, but there, it's interesting that you bring up like the sort of manufactured nature of, of this, because it's almost fourth wall breaking how they just kind of say the quiet part out loud. Fenris exists mm-hmm. because someone really liked Vikings that yeah. it was somebody during the dark age of technology who was rich and technologically advanced and who decided I want a Viking playground in space. So I'm going to make one. And so they did. And thus Fenris was born. And I find it very interesting because there is a phrase that's repeated often. And a lot of it, I think one of the first times I heard it was when I first got into the Horus Heresy series. I didn't start in order. Well, I did start in order per se, but I tended to, as the series went on, to skip over to the legions I was more interested in first than going back to the other stories. And the wolves were up there, of course. And this sort of inside joke. The Alpha Legion has the I am Alpharius, which is it was old the first time that somebody said it. Right. The Space Wolves had that there are no wolves on Fenris line. And something about that was very poignant to me as I was reading a book this weekend called Lucas the Trickster. And in that book, there is a, a conversation between a dark Eldar homunculus, you know, master gene manipulator, and not only other dark Eldar, but some space wolves themselves briefly talking about how the wolves, like the Fenrisian wolves, are actually people. That they're they're not actually wolves. And for all intents and purposes, they may as well just be wolves. But that they are based on the human genome. That someone took a person or a group of people and made them mythological wolf murders. You know, that was very interesting to me because while Dark Eldar... I wouldn't exactly call them the most reliable of narrators. It is an outside source, and the, and the credibility of, of that as a, as a lore topic stands up a little bit more when they're talking about it amongst themselves and to the, you know, the lesser monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't just be saying it to mess with the monkey and then also just be saying it to you know, their superiors or others. I mean, and, and of course, plans within plans and blah, 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 blah. You can, you can make a lot of justification as to why that wouldn't be true. But I find it very interesting that, you know, there could be some symbolic meaning behind that as well, that all of the, the monsters that prowl the forest are really just monstrous people. I don't know. Is that too deep? Am I reading into it too much? I don't think so. I mean, the other person who talks about it uh, initially in the uh, the Horus Heresy is is also Magnus, talking about the Canis Helix and and everything there. He never really goes into it in that scene in A Thousand Suns where he starts the discussion of it, but um, you know it's alluded to there as well. And I think I, I think like most good works of literature and i think that there's some things in in the uh the black library collection that are really good works and then others that are more just pulp and that's you know that's fine um i think having multi-layered depth where things can mean multiple things at once 
and you're allowed to put your own interpretation on it so we can continue arguing about it over um you know rolling dice and and you know grabbing food after a game is is kind of the point i disagree um, not just kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, no i i i do agree with that there is a role for the campiness i mean again you know tying mm-hmm. it back to my own faction there's almost like two main uh flavors of fiction for the blood angels there's the the james swallow era which mm-hmm. nowadays people kind of take for granted they they look at the modern blood angels lore and it is beautiful and that then they'll go back wanting more and they'll go back in time and they'll read the james swallow stuff and they'll be like wait this is you know this is different this isn't exactly what i expected this is not like it is now it's like well of right. course it isn't because that was first there was nothing right. before that um, you know, there was the blood quest thing and that, I mean, you want to talk about campy blood quest was campy. It's classic it's <laughs> campy, but there are different ways to enjoy a faction. And right. I've, I've kind of found my niche with, with Lucas, the, the trickster. I've, I've always appreciated the, the Norse sort of, um, themes that go into the aesthetics. Never been too much into the werewolf side of things myself, but I love the runes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit then about what makes Space Wolves different than your Garden Variety Codex chapter on the tabletop. Like, what is the what is the compelling dice thing, the model thing that lets you act out the fantasy that gets you excited to roll dice? excited to paint up the miniatures and the way that you want to represent them on the battlefield. Well, I think if you lean into the, the werewolf side, you've got the wolfen, which are, they're pretty fun, but I think, you know, I've done my own unique take on that where I've like modeled and converted up a uh, wolfen, like wolf Lords. And uh, I've got some dreadnoughts that are heavily converted that are just giant wolfen. Uh, so rather than being dreadnoughts, they're dread wolfen. Which are kind of fun, and whenever somebody plays against them, they really like them. Uh, they forget that they're vehicles sometimes, but, you know, they, they, they tend to enjoy them. Um, but I think the thing that makes it a little different, and these rules don't exist anymore, but it used to be when I first started playing that you had to have a certain number of characters. So you could have more characters than others did because it kind of embodied that warrior, hero, seeking a saga kind of thing. Sure. And so that's not there in quite the same way because people can, you know, depending on how you want to organize your force, you could just take just characters with uh, certain. Well, I don't even know if that's maybe that's a holdover from eight. I get confused because I don't try to run things that way. But as far as like modeling on the table, you've got um, all kinds of different characters. conversion things that you can do there's obviously the kits that games workshop sells that are uh, little uh, totems and runes and um, little gemstones Uh, but a lot of people myself included uh, like to use green stuff to kind of sculpt fur there's a lot of third-party stuff that will do like wolf skull helmets and those sorts of things very much like uh, Ulrich the Slayer's helmet, but for uh, for other characters and one that's not just being held, but actually worn. And there's, of course, the, the the wolf guard that are riding giant wolves, which are the Thunder Wolf cavalry that are always fun. 
Yeah, I like yeah, you can you can lean into the the wolf the werewolf wolf inside, you can lean into the viking side and have things set up there. Lots of things can take uh, storm shields. So, yeah, there's lots of different sorts of fun ways to approach it. Yeah, I I think that Thunderwolf cavalry are the only instance of any kind of space marine cavalry. I mean, well, a lot of people try and draw the comparison between bikes, but at least historically for the majority of the game's existence, cavalry and bikes have operated a little bit differently. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, they still do in mm-hmm. Warhammer 40k right now. You know, it might just come down to keywords at this point, but it is kind of interesting to me how, you know, riding on giant wolves that were somehow genetically related to people has become such a thing like an iconic thing of this one specific legion one specific chapter and despite that i can't think of many instances at least in the books that i've read where there have been thunderwolf cavalry writers in the novels is there one that you can think of I believe there are a couple of short stories or maybe they were audio dramas that deal with Thunderwolf Cav specifically, but they don't make it into the larger lore. And I don't know whether that's because they're trying to present things as being those sorts of things being hidden from the larger Imperium or not. Um, that's actually one of the things I am not a fan of in the the Wolf Time novel, which I know we'll be talking about later. but. Um, it's sometimes I think because there's so much that you can do. Uh, sometimes authors either lean into those sorts of things or avoid those kind of things. And depending on your author, uh, some are more likely to lean into the 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 wolf wolf stuff than than others. So like Chris Rate is much more likely to lean into the the Vikingness of things and leave the the, the werewolf stuff aside. Versus like uh, David Annandale is is more likely to kind of lean into more of the uh, fantastical, almost horror-esque side of, of, of things. He actually wrote the Curse of the Wolfen um, series. I think it was him. Um, but yeah, so I think it kind of depends on the author. And I think, you know, I'm kind of okay with it not being widely known. And then it just is what it is. But uh, we can talk more about that when we talk about Wolf Time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and one of the other things that I, you know, I kind of want to touch on that you already touched on is that it does seem like there's a certain favorite aspect of this sort of mishmash of themes that authors tend to pick up on. Now, I certainly <laughs> would hop on the the Norse mythology train of that more than the werewolf side right that's kind of where i i would glean my fun and it's it's kind of where you know when i'm when i'm thinking about what i would do with a space wolf collection if i wanted to mm-hmm. i would probably lean less into the wolf theme stuff and more into the runic uh norse m- mythology sort of stuff um that you know for my own and one of the the reasons for that is, I mean, we, you mentioned, uh, oh gosh, and now I'm forgetting the name of the book, Wolf Spain, right? Yeah, was that it? Wolf yeah. Spain, the Horus Heresy book, which is a 
a love it and hate it kind of Horus Heresy book because it's Russ fighting Horus. Right. And it's something that like basically somebody handed and and I I feel bad about this, uh, but somebody handed Guy Haley this thing and was like, "Listen, we've got to figure out where Russ is and why he isn't at Terra, because we put him there. Why is he not there at the end? Like we have to justify that." And they let they left it rather to Guy Haley, who uh, I consider a very prolific writer, and they gave him a it's like an impossible task. Right. And he certainly yeah. leaned into some of those those themes. There's a Norse myth, uh, the myth of Utgard Loki, where it's basically this giant who has a castle and Thor and Loki and then a human who is a very swift runner are invited in as guests as part of a journey that they're taking. And they are given impossible challenges to overcome they don't know that they're impossible challenges and they almost beat them all. And Guy Haley took that legend and adapted it to this spiritual journey into the warp via Fenris's world spirit to basically, you know, kind of slap that, uh, that sort of recurring theme onto the, onto the story. And Lehman Russ took on, the aspect of all three of those mythological characters in the Utgard Loki myth and performed almost performed, I should say three impossible deeds that almost, you know, unseated the structure of reality, <laughs> so to speak. Um, right. And, you know, it's those things, especially for someone like me who I have that sort of connection, it's those things that tie me to the faction a little bit closer, but there are definitely tons of people out there who also are just more like, no, just give me more werewolves, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I totally get that. And to be honest, I like both. Um, you know, my uh, Marines in general are in a really bad place right now in, in ninth edition. Um, but those sorts of things always kind of, uh, are on a loop. So they'll come around again. Uh, and, you know, my next foray definitely is going to be more in the, you know, assault intercessors, uh, blade guard, all, you know, heavily converted to be uh, very savage Viking, uh, you know, skulls and, and pelts and totems and, and all of that fun stuff. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the trip that Rust does into the, the underverse, as they as they call it on Fenris. And I think. That points out uh, for me some really interesting things, and, and there's some interesting things that I would love for them to talk more about that I don't know that we'll ever get to. Um, but you know, it, Russ has this moment where he encounters like almost what he would have been if they hadn't been scattered, um, and it kind of is like this imperial ideal sort of person because he's kind of the Fenrisian ideal noble savage. And I know Primex are always this kind of ideal person, but this kind of like what he was intended to be versus what he is. Um, and I think that's really interesting because there's things about Russ that we don't hear a whole lot of that would be intrinsic to his nature that don't really get described. He's the second Primarch that's found. And while the Emperor is out with 
Horace doing things is kind of the two of them being like, you know, father and son, you've got Russ doing his own thing. And I would imagine he spends a lot of time with Malkador because he does have in, in the horse heresy, this really uh, familial, comfortable way of interacting with and chatting with, with Malkador to the point where he invents a game that's different than regicide that they're playing together. That just kind of speaks to this like long history and the way Malkador operates and the way Russ operates seem like they're at odds, but they actually mesh very well together. I mean, Malkador is the one that came up with the idea for the, the watch packs that get sent out after the heresy starts to kind of keep an eye on all the other primarchs to make sure that everything's okay, that everything's above board. Some of them just get wiped out immediately. Um, but, you know, that's where you've got interesting things where, you know, in Unremembered Empire, you know, one of the watch packs comes and, and the lion's there and, you know, it's like, OK, we got to do the, the thing where we fight. Um, and, you know, they kind of. The, the lion holds up the, the tradition there for a moment and obviously smacks around uh, the, the space wolf. I can't remember his name at the moment, but. There's there's all that kind of interesting kind of interplay that never really gets fully explored that I read into a lot, um, because people people talk about the, the the fact that they're called the emperor's executioners and it's in different places talked about in different ways and like is it a name they chose for themselves is it kind of a myth that they built up and you know it's probably both, just like Russ is kind of both. I mean it's kind of also like the you know the the Rus. Um, which kind of, you know, where Russ gets his name. They're, they're Vikings, but they're also Christians. And they're kind of mixing those two things together in a way that makes them um, civilized and savage at the same time. And yeah, I, I think mean, that's more what the, what the Vilca Fenrica were during the Horus heresy. And that's kind of what's been lost as the, the oral tradition um, forgets to remember those things. I love that. I I love that you bring up sort of this split, not only between you know, different aspects of, of Russ, but what his absence has taken from the rest of the... Okay, so we're back after somewhat of a brief life stuff-related intermission, and let's continue our conversation talking about the absence of Russ. So I think, you know, we, we've, we've been discussing the fact that the, the space wolves kind of have a dual nature, uh, much like Russ has a dual nature. And I think um, one of the things to me that's really interesting and that's in the lore that also comes out, uh, as we were saying in the, in the codexes, is that um, there's a hollowness to the space wolves um because rust just leaves and they don't have that guiding hand to kind of keep them immersed in 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 both wool uh both worlds um or you could say both wolves i guess as well <laughs> the wolf um, you feed <laughs> perhaps yeah perhaps <laughs> perhaps yeah um and you know, I, I know we're going to be talking about book wolf time in a little bit but i think there's there's some interesting parallels I think between what's unspoken about Russ's journey and what's unspoken about a lot of the journey of your basic legionary 
in the heresy when when Russ is kind of united and they're forging this new thing uh, that happens. But it's you know the, the hiddenness of of like what they're really up to and, and and what their real real purpose is. And for me, you know, it's never explicitly stated, but I really do think you know Malkador's hand in that really is there. And much of, you know, who Russ is, is his upbringing, but he's also not just that. He's also, you know, he is a Primarch. He is of the Emperor. He is part of that design. And I think if we, you know, take that seriously, then a lot of it is, um, it, you know, like so much with the Primarchs, there's who they are and who others perceive them to be in the same way that like Fulgrim is so flamboyant and out there and talking so much about how awesome he is. And the Khan is able to put him in his place by saying like, well, of course I know what you would do because you won't shut up about it. I thought the, you know? the comment that really unsettled him was that I hear you do strange things to your warriors. Yeah, that that too. Which has to be that like too. one of the top five quotes of the horse heresy. Um, yeah. It's pretty good. I'll you know, talk about that um, one more in the Why I Love White Scars or Emperor's Children episode. But I, I want right. to touch back on something you just mentioned because you talked about Russ's upbringing. And for those who don't know, like Lehman Russ was purportedly raised by wolves, right? And of course, there are no right. wolves on Fenris. They are at least distantly related to humanity in some form. So... I mean, there was there was definitely a connection there. Mm -hmm. That kind of almost makes more sense, right? That there would be the option of being raised by wolves if they could relate to you on some deeper level than perhaps right. we could in the real world. And there's there's some implications for that as well. But I don't want it to, to kind of get lost on us that it, it wasn't that Russ was part of a quote-unquote barbarian culture and was found by a civilized emperor a la the Romans finding the Germanic peoples, it is which, <laughs> that was a, a much more how, how should we put it, a much more violent historical occurrence than any parallel in <clears throat> Warhammer 40k so far as the Space Wolves chapter is concerned. But what, what we have here is like Russ's first experience with quote-unquote civilization on Fenris has to do with these human basically clans and tribes of, of nomadic warriors. And it's a, it's a story that, aside from the setting, is pretty common among many of the Primarchs. I mean, Sanguinius was found by a nomadic tribe. They were just on a irradiated ash waste you know, mm -hmm. uh, surrounded by salt, much like all of us on the internet and the 40K community in general, sometimes it feels yeah. like. But uh, it was it was a similar sort of a thing where he wasn't raised by quote-unquote civilized people. Uh, it was a form of proto-civilization. And then he's got to integrate that with his wolfish upbringing which is probably much closer to the land you know much closer to the to the world spirit of fenris uh which i'm convinced that the planet has one uh, i talked <clears> about that on my world 
you know, my world spirit, uh, spirit segment a few episodes ago, but you know, it's, it's this continual like cycle of like, what, what am I, who am I? And the fact that Russ is having that internal dialogue is like, all right, I'm acting a little bit savage for my boys. I'm also acting <laughs> a little bit of savage for my, you know, reputation and so that people underestimate me. But on the inside, I totally understand that there is a a pattern of of integration of these other ideas. There's this balance that has to be maintained. And he takes a lot of effort to preserve Fenris as a you know, to basically save his childhood, right? Protect, you know, because the emperor tends to do that, right? He tends to get you right in the childhood and mm -hmm. change the culture or, you know, let all of your friends die or, you know, whatever it is. Um, he's, he's engaged in that process of, of learning and integration, trying to preserve the things from the past that make sense to preserve and integrating the new things that are necessary for the survival. And that's a psychological journey, really. Uh, oh, yeah. And it gets cut short. And, you know, if Fenris and everyone who lives on it is a personality, then the, the, the acting agent of that personality to grow and to adapt is gone when Russ leaves. Yeah, and... You know, there's confusion as to why he leaves. Like, and there's multiple different, I guess, interpretations of it. I don't have the quote in front of me that, that he actually says uh, when he leaves. But oh, the one that where where it has like my bottom one, like the very worst line in in Warhammer fiction, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where it, where it says one of the just the worst words ever. Um, that I'll I'll be back for the end for the wolf time. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, listen, yeah, and you know you know why I I have a connection to these to to this chapter, the Viking connection, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever came up with the term wolf time. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that that it, it sounds really dumb. <laughs> It does. It I, does. I have, I have to say it. It sounds really dumb. Uh, well, I mean, they, they couldn't say Ragnarok. Well, but could, couldn't they have? Because they like one of the ships is named Ragnarok. Like, yeah. And I mean, Fenris, for crying out loud, like Fenrir is the name of the mythical wolf. They could have called it like Ragnarok and spelled it with a C at the end. And it would have been the same. You know, it's like, come on. Right. Um, you know, it's. It's like leaving the last most delicious fry on the plate of food and just being like, you know what? I think Ragnarok's pushing it too far. What should we call it? We should call it wolf time. Yeah. Have we overused wolf a little bit? Nah, it'll be fine. No one will notice. So that's, that's, I, I've got that out of my system. Thanks for putting up with that for me. I, I expect good, many, good. many blood themed teases about that later. And I will, I will accept and drink every one of them, yeah, but uh, with the blood, it makes sense. Indeed, but and uh, it would make sense that the space vampires would um, have some beef with the space werewolves. So, well, I think that's more of like uh, a late 
to early 2010s problem that popped up. Yeah. Oh, man. The sparkle reference. Nobody sparkles. Yeah. Nobody sparkles, though. So that's fine. Yeah. I'm Um, down with that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, just that whole, his absence means that their groundedness is distant. And, you know, I think it's also one of the things you see repeated over and over again, just in in both the Primarchs and the Legions, where like the amount of daddy issues they all have are just <laughs> so over the top crazy. Um, and I think that's a lot of what you see in in the Space Wolves is they because there's an oral tradition, things get lost and things get forgotten. Some of that's probably intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, this, the person who this person is gets lost because they've only shown bits and pieces. The only one who still is around that knows anything about who Russ really was and what he was like is Bjorn and Bjorn wasn't always around in the beginning. He was mm-hmm. more of a side character until after Prospero and there's a ton of changes that happen for Russ after Prospero, because after Prospero, they get stuck in the, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, but the they're, they're hounded by the, 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 the alpha Legion. Yeah. Uh, for a while, the alpha Legion, I think it was the Alaxis Nebula that they got stuck fighting in, but yeah, you know, that sounds like wrong. how I would pronounce it in my head. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. So, you know, and, and so, you know, Russ himself goes through all those changes where, you know, he's this, um, you know, the guy that takes down Angron uh, in the Night of the Wolf to going to, um, you know, and he's casting runes and taking on this, like, different sort of approach to things yeah, um, as they're, like, the trying to survive yeah. the Alpha Legion. And, and then eventually, you know, ends up showing up on Terra, you know, at the during Wolfsbane, when he's going to decide to go and try to take on Horus and stall things. And, you know, he, he takes other people's charges of him being a hypocrite seriously because of, you know, still, you know, psychers are bad, but my rune priests are totally fine. Yeah. Um, well, he seems you know. to be the only one of the Legion, really, that who survives, quote unquote, who mm-hmm. is capable of that sort of self-reflection. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that Russ is a really interesting character. Um, I they certainly wrote themselves into a corner with Wolfsbane by basically mm-hmm. forcing themselves into making a situation where Russ couldn't be a Terra after putting him there, and it making mm-hmm. more sense for him to stay. Uh, so they had to really lean into that. I'm a stubborn, gonna do what I want, savage type of dude, in order to. And they really had to push that, like really had to push it so that Russ would leave when it made no sense to, especially when, you know, at the very beginning of the book, like Sanguinius and the Ninth Legion arrive and, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they're self-aware enough to make the conversation. It's like, Russ, why are you leaving? Like, we just got some reinforcements, (laughs) like stay here, help us defend Terra. It's like, well, I'm not meant for that sort of thing. In the meantime, Khan is over there tapping his foot, like... Well, I'm staying, you know. <laughs> Have you yeah. seen my new bike? Like, <laughs> I parked it. 
this is where I'm at now. Um, yeah. And of course, Rush being the one who welcomed him there, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think that this is a good opportunity, though, to transition to talking a little bit about the Wolf Time novel. Now, as a novel yes. name, Wolf Time ain't so bad. But right. uh, the events in the book I found that were the most interesting that tie into what you were just saying about some of like the differences between the modern Legion and or the modern chapter, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. In the old Legion is that there is this Space Wolf Primaris warrior. And I imagine we're going to be seeing several different versions of this sort of story archetype. I'm just going to lay this out real quick. Primaris Marine exists. Primaris Marine comes from ex-genetic bloodline. Primaris Marine is reunited with the firstborn variants of ex-genetic bloodline. Difficulty fitting in ensues. Some sort of event triggers a a broad acceptance of this poster, poster boy warrior of integration into the old while bringing it current with the new chapter prospers like that it's that sort of a we're probably going to see that over and over again just like with the horse heresy series we had so many long like diatribe style discussions about the nature of betrayal and everything that was lost you know that's the thing that's going to be hammered home because part of the reason that they're writing these books right is to justify and integrate primaris into the the current narrative and there's a lot of reasons for doing that and i not necessarily even angry about it, but that's just, it is what it is. But this was a very good chapter to pick for that sort of difficulty fitting in kind of story, in my opinion, because there are few who are more insular than the space wolves, except perhaps the dark angels. But the dark angels are just secretive. Whereas the, from a cultural standpoint, I imagine it wasn't terribly hard for a dark angel to fit in. It was more just about being in on the secret. But with the space wolves, right. it's like we all come from a unified background culture. Right. And it is way harder to integrate with that kind of an in-group than it is mm-hmm. to to just, you know, join join the ranks of people who more or less you could fit in with because they don't really have a unified you know, the, their their in group is their bloodline with the with the dark angels. You know, they, right. you know, the rock. The, the rock is the rock. It's it's not. You know, they they recruit from a bunch of different worlds now. It's a it's a mobile fortress. They don't have that home home culture uh, like the space wolves do. So I enjoyed watching this one particular scene that illustrates your point very well. And then I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back to it, but I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for this point is that this space wolf Primaris who was so obsessed with learning about the culture of Fenris that he never knew growing up in a, you know, in a test tube, but has been fascinated with, you know, this, this culture that is, it's part of an ancestral thing in it as, as much as it's a, just a straight, I'm part of this, of this heritage of rest sort of a thing. So he has this book that talks about the different customs of Fenris. And it is like nine or 10,000 years out of date. Mm-hmm. And he's, 
trying to fit in with everybody as best he can using the information. And there's plenty in there that is the same, but there's so much of the cultural context and so much of the stuff that's moved on from him that it still causes him to, to feel like an outsider. And the most illustrative example of this is when he's playing a, a board game, like a chess-style game with an, uh, like a long thing. And I believe it's a long fang. It's a it's a member of the firstborn, and they're in the fang, the fortress. Which which to make a point in the book to say like, yeah, we don't call it that. Yep, we, <laughs> we don't call it that. And by the way, I'm going to do this move. And in his little book, right, that move is illegal, which is why he left himself open for it. He's like, wait, you can't do that. They're like, you don't know how to play this. We know how to play this. We've been playing it this way for thousands of years. He's like, well, clearly. Not many thousands of years, because my book is super old. And like, we don't care about what your book says. Our culture is what we say it is. Not what that stupid thing that that was written down by somebody else says. It's amazing they even have that. But they treat the the written word with such contempt, you know, because it goes against their longstanding traditions. And his inability to mesh with and meet, you know, come together with those warriors is one of the dramatic points of that of that book framed around this context of if he can't integrate, then there's a good chance that Logan Grimnar is going to wage war against Gilliman. Uh, he's at least going to reject all the primaries reinforcements. So there's that background yeah. tension to that. And I think that what the Legion has done to change and, and what it has lost along the way is illustrated in that moment. What do you think about it? I think, I think that's definitely part of it. I think there's a there's a part that happens later with uh, the squad leader that he's constantly kind of sparring with mm-hmm. from, you know, Crumb's great company that's supposed to be guiding them through. And it's basically this like, yeah, like you're fine. And, and we finally decided that the Primaris are worth kind of having, but you will never be a space wolf. The Primaris that come after you will. Because we will be the ones inducting them. We will be in control of the process. We will be the ones making sure that the traditions are maintained. But you you call yourself a space wolf, but you're not. Because you don't have the history. You don't... It, it is that whole, you know, oral education versus written word. Like, you read about it. You didn't live it. You don't know what it's like to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, so then, of course, you do spoilers. So... Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a big deal. You know, so so like, oh, I got to do this trial of Morkai to become even just a basic blood claw, even though those kind of terms don't really follow anymore with Primaris. So, yeah, OK, screw you then. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to prove to you that I can that I can do this and jumps out of a I think it's a Thunderhawk or a Stormbird or one of yeah, them. Yeah. can't remember one of one but, of the flying um, weather related aviators you know, avian. Right. <laughs> but it's not, it's not the wolfy wolf wolf one. So no, not, but yeah. not the storm wolf. Right. Um, so, so yeah, he jumps out and then has his little adventure where he's actually like working through things and, and meeting the locals and talking to them and, and Slays you know, black his man. trial. Yeah. Yeah. His trial of Morkai is like harder and more difficult than your, than the traditional one is even. And, you know, I think that's a very interesting sort of, storyline because in a way it very much parallels the whole dual natures 
issue that Russ had as well, where, you know, I'm intended to be one thing. And then my experiences on this planet make me something different. And how do I integrate the two of them in order to take the best of what's there? And so in a way, I think, yeah, you know, coming with, from the, the, other side, with yeah. the stuff they've laid out, yeah, the stuff they laid out, it could end up going that way. It could end up being that things change in a way that's, at least in my mind, pretty helpful and, and moving things forward. Well, it also um, almost feels to me like they're trying to mirror the community's acceptance of the primaris. I don't know. And this, I, I go into allegory and I'm, I'm using this as an example. Uh, there is just some real resistance to the idea of, of primaris and the lore among mm-hmm. what would you call like the grognards of, of 40 K who, who pine for the good old days. And you know, this especially is, in the space wolves, especially yeah. in the space wolves community, because it's like, wait, hold on. Like this whole insular culture thing, like this is a, this isn't just like a, 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 a bug of our lore. This is the, the feature. This is who we are. How do you, how do you integrate something like that? And so I think that for all of the slow start for Wolf Time as, as a book in some ways, it really shone, you know, it was really fantastic in this particular arc of this Space Wolf Primaris Warrior trying to get accepted, eventually not caring about the acceptance, but more or less becoming what he needed to become to pass their test and not caring anyway, which is the true Space Wolf thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't care if you think I'm worthy or not. I know I'm worthy. And that was the thing that he was missing. He was desiring mm-hmm. so much acceptance from everyone else that, you know, he lacked confidence as a warrior. And, you know, perhaps that's the primaries trying to worm their way into the hearts of the, the more stubborn among the community who don't want to accept that they're here. But, you know, perhaps I'm reading into that a little bit too much. <laughs> well, I think uh, long term, those people are going to get left behind anyway. But... You know, I think I think the other side of that is is very much mirrored in the response that Logan Grimnar and everyone else has to the fact that the Primaris exists, the fact that Gilliman is coming to Fenris, and they're hyper paranoid about all of it. Mm-hmm. And now, even Bjorn pipes up and he's like, "Yeah, Gilliman can't be trusted." Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they wake up Bjorn, and he wakes up long enough just to be like. Can't yep. trust that big blue son of a bee. <laughs> which, which to me, that that felt like the perfect opportunity for like, like sanity and reason to come. But like, no, everyone is just very so. There's so much parent. They're so paranoid. And the other thing that kind of bothered me about the book, and maybe you know, I've come to accept it now, but it it really kind of rewrote what I thought the the wolf time was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And Grimnar's Grimnar's really like, no, we need to like destroy ourselves so that Russ comes back. Like he'll be there. Not when like the universe is going to be destroyed. It's when the space wolves are going to be destroyed. Yeah. I, and if we grind, so that's part of why there's hesitation to take these new warriors. It's like, no, we're supposed to, we're supposed to eliminate ourselves for the Imperium mm-hmm. so that we're fulfilling what we're supposed to be doing. That's our duty. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the a story. Tricky part that's of the story. Prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's 
that's kind of the story of the space wolves anyway, you know, where it's like we're they're the ones willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done, which is I mean, you see that a lot in Prospero Burns as well, where, you know, they're trying to take the planet and, you know, the the people are having trouble and, and the space wolves themselves say, like, we can take it if you let us do it our way, but you can't complain about it if we do it our way. And so they grant them permission and they basically, you know, break and smash a orbital station onto the planet to to get them to comply. And people are complaining about it. And the Hasper, I think, was his name. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? Like, yeah, what's what's going on here? And someone's yeah. someone's response to that is, yeah, you know, it, it takes an incredible amount of will to be this savage. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't, they don't want to destroy themselves, but they feel they need to. And so they're going to do what they need to do doesn't matter what it costs and and that's the sort of thing too where that that line in particular illustrates that no we know what this means we're not just Mm -hmm. doing things no we understand what it means we understand what it Mm -hmm. costs we probably understand that better than you do we're going to do it anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, and that may be terrifying to you and it very well should be as with most things that astartes do but right. with the space wolves in in general, it's like, oh man, that was ruthless. That was brutal. You know, that was savage. And one of my my favorite lines in that same section of the book has to do with you know, this conversation that this you know skeld has with a, a like a regular a baseline human in one of the camps, talking about like the difference between some of the different Astartes that he's seen. And he talks about, you know, like we, we were fighting alongside the, the blood angels once. And of course I remember it because it references my homies, but he's using it as a comparison with the wolves. He's like the angels, when they came down, when they were fighting with us, it felt like they were coming to save us, not just like save us, but to save us, like save our <laughs> souls. And it was terrifying in the way that they did that, and much in the way, you know, in a lot of religious writing in our world, you know, the appearance of angels is often awe and terror mixed with exultation, right? And this guy was a <laughs> bit more comfortable with the Space Wolves version of it because at least they seemed more honest about it. Uh, at least if I'm remembering it right, it has been a few years since I read that, but I, I remember that yeah. standing out to me because he was like, no, like that made me uncomfortable. Like being saved mm-hmm. made me uncomfortable. And it, they, they are no less terrifying in their expression of this willpower than the space wolves are. They just do it a different right. way. And right. You see that, I think too, in the, in the yarn hammer, novels where they're talking about you know how to relate to the local populace and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and they talk about you know the the soldiers will pray to the emperor and they'll they'll, they'll pray to you know sanguinis but like the ones that they would actually want to be with fighting like would be russ yeah because because russ would be like them yep he would he would and again in the trenches with them yeah but again that's like that's the affectation as well there's it's it's oh 
it's like something that George Washington would do to, to make sure that you spend time <laughs> in the camp talking to, you know, your baseline soldiers so that they feel seen and heard and valued and then are willing to do what you need them to do mm-hmm. later on. For sure. One of the things I love the most about the descriptions of Lehman Russ, and I've borrowed it for like Dungeons and Dragons characters, um, was this sort of the way that the air vibrated around him. Like <laughs> he was a storm about to be unleashed that like the, his potential energy you know, was so raw and visceral that it was like his body couldn't contain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, action is a big theme of the wolves. And one of the most attractive themes of them for me uh, is, is this, no, well, we're not going to fiddle fart around. We're just, we're going to get it done and we're going to hit it with an ax until it breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, you know, if we need to point our ax at somebody who really needs it, like say the ecclesiarchy, and we don't care because they obviously need an axe right now in their head. Right. Right. And you know, that as, as we're talking about space wolves, I, I have to point that out as one of my favorite things about them is this. We don't care who you are. If you need an axe in your head, you'll get it. And yeah. you know, not, not even many among some of my other favorite chapters would be so willing to openly pursue their own agenda in the face of the incredible dogmatic inertia of the Imperium. Like one of the, one of the funniest things when they're interrogating an interrogator and they just kind of drop casually, well, we existed long before your church ever existed, which is true. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And to this priest, you know, this interrogator, he's like, that's a bunch of crap. You know, the church has been here forever. It's like, uh, has it really? It's like, no, it hasn't. Um, but they're just casually dropping these forbidden truth bombs, the sort of thing that we get most people in the Imperium, you know, reported on and shot and all of the, right. you, know, you know, burned at the stake like they like to do if you file your paperwork too late. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. And, uh, that sort of speaking truth to power thing, that's what I've decided is my biggest hook into this faction. And I am planning on building a small space wolf force, I've decided. But now that I can open that up with a successor chapter, it's a little bit more lore-friendly to have one now than it was, say, five years ago. Right? You know... I, I understand that. I told and you this is this is a byproduct. This is totally a me thing. This is a byproduct of being raised by a historical gamer. Uh, no, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is like I understand that, but you know, my successor chapter is a lost great hunt. There are plenty of great companies that disagreed that someone else was elected Wolf Lord. You know, and took like what whatever Grimnar is now, uh, chapter master for people who aren't uh, wolf lord you know, in the know. Yeah, the wolf time. So like, but but those great companies because they disagreed that somebody else was elected to lead the space wolves. They just said, "Screw you! I'm going my own way." And so it's it's part of the lore and part of the history that you have these splinter groups of space wolves that are just out there doing things mm-hmm. and. It's important to remember that the one time that they tried to have a successor chapter, the reason it didn't work 
wasn't because of any genetic instability or anything like that with the it space wolves. Totally it was Magnus. because Mag Magnus messed it up. <laughs> Magnus did something wrong again. Uh. But so it was never attempted again because they didn't know if it was possible. And so people will say, like, you can't have successor chapters because you need to be, you know, from Fenris or you need to be on Fenris. And if you're not close to it, you have these problems. But like, we don't know if that's really true or not. Well, you there's know? definitely plenty of room in there for people who wanted to do what you did. And like when I when I hear you describe what you did, I was like, well, that's actually much more clever than anything I was thinking of. But, you know, for for me, I have sort of a a, a meta faction in involved in by meta i mean it's a it's inclusion of, of several different elements of the imperium and i have a different color scheme in mind because i'm not terribly fond of the space wolf armor color uh, i'm not either so i'm actually thinking i'll do a white armor like a dirty snow armor where it's white okay with a lot of sort of dirt smudges and stains like it's hard to keep anything white clean right um and of course then bringing in some of the multicolored patterns like leaning much more into the viking theme than the wolf theme i may even sure. forego you know direct wolf units like thunder wolf cavalry completely but the idea being that like if you look at some of the old like art and tapestries from the viking age in england Speaking of cultures that wrote stuff down where others didn't, uh, yep. their tunics and things, everything was very colorful. Like they, oh, like yeah. It, it, every every modern Viking show is like, all right, we're going to shave the sides of their head, we're going to cover them in a lot of tattoos, and we're going to put them in like these drab browns and grays and dark blues, and that's how we know that they're Vikings. Like, well, you know, if you actually look at the people who drew them. That dude had like a almost a fluorescent green tunic on. He was he was rocking it, you know. I was thinking the written of, descriptions too of of uh, from from England of their complaints with the the Norse men that would come over. Yep, who were um, clean and bathed too often, and it was yeah, clean and bathed, and their teeth were good, and they smelled nice, and they were stealing the women. Yeah, the women because of their nice smells. <laughs> yep, yep, and that was a, that was a reason that we had to kill those settlers is. Because they, yeah. they bathed too often. And the, and they didn't really have beer. They had mead, which is mm -hmm. fermented honey for people that don't know. And so, like, the flavors were different. Yeah, it was bright and colorful and festive and fun. And mm -hmm. so I, I mean, as fun as anything in the past was. Yeah, I want to bring that in a little bit. I want, like, with the, especially with, like, the, the pauldrons where I don't have shields. Because there will be plenty of, like, round rune shields that I plan on throwing in, throwing in and around there. But I want to bring in a bunch of those bright colors onto like the shoulder pauldrons where normally like the blood claws have their sort of jagged tooth shoulder thing, you know, that's mm -hmm. red and black or whatever. I, I just want to do it in a bunch of different colors, even within the same squad, give them a lot of individuality, but have that sort of white base on the armor panels and just muck it up. Just get it really nice and dirty and see how it looks. And I'll probably test it on a Lucas the Trickster model first because he's the ultimate embodiment of speaking truth to power because he'll speak truth to the Space Wolves traditions and power and things. <laughs> and I think it's, it's wonderful. I, I've actually doing this, like preparing for this episode and talking to you and doing all this, like has increased my love for this faction quite a bit. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, they're my favorite. I have other armies that I that I do that I care about. But yeah, these are if I could only do one, these would be it. And there's there's a there's a huge part of me that really wants when the Horus Heresy is done and there's only two books left. But when it's done, I'm really hoping they do a scouring series because I definitely yeah. I want to know I want to know more about that time, but also I feel like Russ will be more uh, more present and central to all of that. And and yeah, it's just I need to know. Yeah, I, and we need a little bit more of a victory story too. I know, I know people in 40k love their depressing hopelessness, but you know the the nihilism has lasted for 50 plus novels uh let's let's start taking things back from the darkness a bit and mm-hmm. scouring is that opportunity especially for some of these legions that were so underserved in the in the main horus heresy series right let's give them a, an opportunity to fight and win and wage war and and lay the groundwork for some of the the stuff that could come later you know the rivalries mm-hmm. and the and the grudge matches and one of my favorite flesh terror stories is actually a story uh, from the scouring by Andy Smiley, where the the flesh terrors are chasing the traitors back to the eye, and they, you know, they find some world eaters, and Amit finds a world eater trapped under a, the wreck of a tank, and uh, they they talk, <laughs> which is not something you would <laughs> expect them to do, um, and, and of course it's just like a preview before they they fight, but this world eaters conversation with Ahmed talking about how jealous he is of him. And Ahmed is like, what the heck are you talking about? I was like, well, your, your blood, your bloodthirst, it's, it's natural. It mine's so artificial, which is the sort mm-hmm. of conversation you expect to have in like the whole foods about organic or inorganic salt. Right. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, it's a telling moment for Ahmed because of course we know that he's, he survives that encounter. But at the end, you know, it still rains blood, even though he won and he's on the quote unquote good side. And that's just part of the whole like despairing, like corn cares not from where the blood flows. He just cares that it flows. And Ahmed is left with, you know, this, I need to reconcile my, my bloodlust, but it is still a win for the loyalists on their way back. And it's still tragic and beautiful in all those ways. And space wolves need that too. Russ needs that. We need to we need to know a little bit more and and let those primarchs who are gone, particularly the loyalist ones who don't have stories in modern 40k, they need they need more than what they have for especially for the fans of those legions. You can bring Russ back in the current timeline. I'd be totally happy. Well, and you know it's it's practically written into it that he will, right? Um, I don't have that yeah. particular luxury for mine. Uh, that being said, it's not like I'd be sad to see Russ or the Khan come back. <laughs> I'd be super stoked to see either of them come back. You know, Vulcan as well, you know, especially after the Beast Arises series and everything that happened there. Right. But, um, yeah, now we're getting off into the weeds. But it, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a wonderful conversation. Is there anything else you would like to cover about the Wolves that we haven't yet that you want to, to make sure that we do? So, the sort of thing that, like, at 2 in the morning, you'll be like, oh, I wish I would wanted to talk about um, this and I forgot. I would say that I'm curious to see what happens next. Part of me is curious to see what they do with uh, just the Primaris in general. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they do more close combat Primaris. Uh, oh gosh. You because that's, 
that's really what's needed. I mean, that's the assault intercessors and, and uh, the blade guard and that kind of stuff are, yeah, they, they, they do fit the bill to a degree, but they're not kind of what I have in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the, you know, they paint so much better. They look so much better on the table that I'm perfectly prepared to go all in on all that um, and really make it my own. But I just want more, mm-hmm. I guess. I feel that. In a very, uh, in a very typhus with the destroyer hive kind of way. Yeah, just give me as much as I can. And, you know, I think, too, I the army I have and the army I've been working on is I lean heavy into the werewolves and the paint, you know, the the yeah, yeah. the wolf, wolfy wolf wolf. And, but I'm moving send away from that. Pictures. And I'll put them up for people. Say again? Yeah, send, send, me, uh, send me some pictures of those models, by the way. If yeah, you got some, for sure. If you can get some higher resolution photos. And I'll put them yeah. up and show people what you've been doing because it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I will. I'll send them to you. And I've got some other things I'm working on for that, too. But the, but everything else, I think, else is going to be more more Viking, more just regular base power armor, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I am looking forward to diving into that. I wish that the Space Wolf uh, Facebook pages were a little bit more happy about Primaris, but that's my own. Mm-hmm. My own thing. Not that the firstborn are, are bad. I'm going to get the horse heresy box set when it comes out, of course, because sure. why not? But yeah, that's what I want. I want Russ back. Yeah, I mean, you'll my own. You'll, yeah. you'll hear my own little uh, rants about people adjusting to change within within the game in, in different ways in a nostalgia themed episode that it may be the one that comes out before this one. It may be the one that comes out after. It depends on. Uh, whether the interviews I have lined up, who comes in first, basically. <laughs> um, Got it. Got it. Half of, half of an episode of two episodes prepared right now. But uh, I mean, that, that is a conversation, you know, just this idea. Yeah. Okay. Is, is the change really that bad? We've had a few years to settle in. You know, a lot of people did that sort of immediate hot take. What does primaries mm-hmm. mean? Now I want to settle in. I want to talk about what it tastes like you know, a couple years later. So. But I, yeah. I share your your desire for a little bit less unhappiness, like like deliberate unhappiness about things. Uh, right. So I think that's a great place to to end off. Thanks again, Chris, for coming and talk to me about what you're so passionate about. It's very clear to me why you love space wolves. Yeah, they're everything I wish I could be, but can't because I've got to live in modern times. But also, I'm glad I'm not because <laughs> let's be honest, I would not want to live in the 41st millennium. It's it's complicated. I wouldn't want to live in the past in Viking times either. So no, not uh, at all. The romance of it is what brings us back. So and there and there are few factions more romantic than the Space Wolves in their if romance is murder. Fantastic stuff. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again, and uh, I will se- certainly let you know when this episode goes down. Sounds great. Cheers. Hey, tough luck tonight, buddy. Yeah, tough new hotness, more like it. <laughs> sure, pal. Same time next week? Sure. See ya. <sighs> what am I gonna do about the new hotness? Amanda, we need to talk. Ah, Kato Sicarius. 
No, it is I, Robute Gilliman, and we need to talk about your performance tonight. Aw, oh, come on, Robute. He's playing the new hotness. What can I do? Well, the Codex says to use the terrain to your advantage, not leaving your whole army set up in the open. But, Robute, the best I can do is this packing styrofoam that came with my dad's TV. Heresy! You can do better than that. Buy some MDF terrain from Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming? Isn't that that company run by the guy who sounds like he has strep throat all the time? Hey, bro, not cool. Silence! Don't get distracted. This is how you forgot to bring in your reserves. But, Robute, I don't even know what MDF means. It's woodcut with lasguns or something. It's not important. It's quality, durable terrain made for all modes of play with different themes like desert, ruined city, industrial, aliens, and more. But I hate painting terrain. It's boring. Never fear. Frontline Gaming has painting services as well. You're right, Lord Gilliman. I should order some. But how do I do that? Where do I start? Go to www. FrontlineGaming.org to find out more about terrain, miniatures, painting services, hobby articles, and events. Gee, thanks, Robute. Any more advice for your loyal force commander? Not now, commander. I have to go back and check on Marnius. Last time I was gone this long, the 500 worlds became the 375. Go ahead and check out www.FrontlineGaming.org. Tell them the Chief Librarian sent you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Chief Librarian podcast. I am still your Chief Librarian, Chris Morgan. And I have a very special guest today. Everyone say hi to Scott. Scott, say hi to everybody. Hey, how's it going? So, Scott, you are a Space Wolf player, and you're probably the most prominent Space Wolf player that I've encountered in, in Utah. Big fan of the gray wolfy boys oh yeah and uh, i'm going to also just call out real fast uh, there are some contractors working around the house right now <laughs> so if you hear banging and crashing and stuff it's not you know me torturing scott into saying stuff it is <laughs> simply the contractors were supposed to be done three and a half hours ago so my apologies for that but we will we will carry on so t tell us a little bit about your history with the space wolves and us like some of the stuff you dealt with them. Um, so yeah, I uh, started playing <laughs> Space Wolves right about the end of seventh edition, start of eighth. That's when I really came back into the hobby. Um, and I started out with Ultramarines because they're on the box. It's kind of what you do. Uh, and I went to a tournament and I lost a game of the relic because the guy I was playing against grabbed the relic, went into the building and I had into a building like a full ruin. Uh -huh. And I had killed basically the rest of his army and I was sending like tactical Marines and, you know, guys who couldn't do anything in melee into a building as the custodies player. And oh, no. I oh, could no. kill anybody else on the board. I had probably 1500 points on the table and I couldn't kill like one custodian melee. And <laughs> at that point I said, what am I doing? I'm switching chapters. You know, I got bamboozled by the box art. Uh, and we're, we're picking a chapter that can do melee. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. So I, I was drawn to the Space Wolves at that point just because, you know, they kind of the, some of the Viking stuff, the, they don't follow the rules of the Codex, like the boys in blue. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
primarily uh, they're good in melee. Uh, so that was the, <laughs> the entry point there, and it just sort of grew from that point. <laughs> I'm the son of rest because the ultra reads, homies let me down. 100%. That, that was the catalyst. And then as I got more into it, you know, I started getting into the rest of the, the aspects, but that was the catalyst. Okay. Okay. That's hilarious. That's, that's real cool. So it was, it was the Space Wolves that you chose because they were a melee chapter. Like what, what else about, because there's obviously a few melee chapters around. Yeah. And I'm always an evangelist for my boys in red, but I, I am also interested in like, there's there's always something that speaks to somebody about when when you when you pick what you're gonna do like when you pick your faction oh yeah like there's something that appeals to you so when you look at space wolves and you think what yeah I I say space wolf and what do you think what does it mean for you like what what is it that you're like I want that so at the time it was it was really between blood angels and space wolves because you can argue there's other factions that fall into that category, but as far as like scars, maybe yeah, model support and, you know, book support, as far as a dedicated supplement, uh, those were the two big ones at the time. And, sure. you know, at a base level, it came down to the, the wolfy Viking aspect over the vampire one, but <laughs> you know, units like the Thunderwolf calf, the Wolfen, uh, the Wolfen dreadnought, which was just a venerable dread at the time. But uh, those were the models that really pulled me in as opposed to, you know, Sanguinary God or Death Company, which mm -hmm. they're cool. Don't get me wrong, but it, oh, listen, I'm not, uh, I, you will always be welcome among <laughs> the brothers of my chapter, but I'm not going to hit on you for liking what you like. Yeah. But, but that was the, the big thing. And from there, you know, I got more into the lore, uh, actually learned the rules because at the time I was still a very new player mm -hmm. and it, it just clicked and, you know, I had, I don't know, two or 3,000 points of Ultramarines at the time. I still have those Ultramarines in a box. They've seen the table maybe once since then. And I'm up to, I don't know, fifteen or 20,000 points worth of fully painted Space Wolves ready to go. Yeah, it's awesome. And, it, and it's an amazing looking army. I, I believe that since the hobby track started, and I, correct me if I'm, I'm quoting what you said wrong here, but you, you've won the Space Wolf hobby track prize every year since it started is that right i'm pretty certain that's correct i know covid made an awkward gap there so i think <laughs> it was hobby track came out in 19 mm -hmm. that was the year lou won it and i got oh micah got third i think yeah micah got third or fourth and i think the utah crew ran away with the, yeah. the hobby track i ended up at sixth overall and i won best in faction space wolves I'm pretty sure I did the COVID year. That's a strange season. Asterisk year. Yeah. yeah. And then I know I, get, I won it again this past year. So I think yeah. I'm three for three, but I'm not 99% sure. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I think that's great. And it, it really shows too. I mean, I've seen your displays and things kind of grow over the years. You have this really cool one that you brought around last year. There's like this big, almost like a full like fortress with like a landing pad and um, like a big sort of like gate wall or something very uh, definitely evinced the idea of the rock right the, the, the not, fang? not the rock the fang that's yeah. it sorry who <laughs> some space wolf people was like ears just went Whoa. yeah um, straight up and uh, you know it started snarling at me but uh, the rock and the fang were of course very close recently in, in terms of the lore when the rock was considering blowing up Fenris. 
but <laughs> we'll we'll get into that part later. Suffice to say that you you definitely represent your your faction well, and uh, and that that goes for t- like gameplay and hobby side. And I just want to you know ask you again or ask you in more nuance like some of the the units and things like you talked about some of the stuff spoke to you, mm-hmm. but. You know, like, but the Sanguinary Guard and the Death Company didn't. But what, what were the things like when you saw the the a Space Wolf model and you thought, "I want that." Like, what is what is your favorite Space Wolf model? Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite unit, I think it would be the Wolfen. They're just so badass. You know, they <laughs> they they've gone you know berserk quite literally. Uh, they've uh, succumbed to the the Canis Helix, whatever. You know they, they've got, <laughs> they've berserked out, uh, but they're still with it enough to know basically fight the bad guys. Um, the models are fantastic. I, I love the poses on all of them, uh, but yeah, the the Wolfen with the Thunder Hammer and the Storm Shield got about twenty of them. <laughs> they're my favorite unit to run, especially in Eighth Edition. Yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty. They were rock stars. Uh, at one point, I was Fame running stars. a list. Yeah, <laughs> at one version of the list I was running was. Uh, three chaplains or wolf priests, excuse me. Uh, I will use the generic term because we're we're officially in the Space Wolf Codex now, or the excuse me, the Space Marine Codex, and then we right. get to swap our keywords now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was running three wolf priests, three squads of wolfen, and then three intercessor squads with a, a thunder hammer on each sergeant, mm-hmm. and each one of those could basically walk around as a, a giant killing Death Star with, with Obsec from the troops, the chaplain for rerolls on everything, and then the Wolfen to fight, fight twice, and then fight on death. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's the most annoying thing about them for me is like coming coming out as like I'm the one who wants to charge you and and you really want me to charge you. Like yeah. you really want me to charge you. And that was one of the things about Space Wolves being a melee chapter and some of the distinctiveness between them and, and some of the other chapters like White Scars, Blood Angels, the other other chapters that were more famous for perhaps their their assault phase was that, you know, in the old rules, like seventh edition and previous, all of the Space Wolves had the counterattack special rule, mm-hmm. which would give them an attack the turn they were charged. It made it very dangerous to charge them if you didn't know you could kill them before they got a chance to swing. And now, like when and with the wolf in an eighth edition, it was like not only will I get a chance to swing, but I'll swing again after you kill me. Yeah. And I'm going to hit you with this preposterously damaged weapon. Oh, yeah. And it was it was a tricky endeavor. Oh, yeah. It's, it, was, it was so much fun. It was probably my favorite time to play them was 8th, just because they were ridiculous, like you said. The, mm. the fight, fight twice, fight and death. Uh, there's, I mean, even with Thunder Hammers, it's enough attacks to kill hordes. And play mm. our buddy Rich Kilton, and he'd get frustrated because you assume a squad with thunder hammers it's not equipped to kill hordes. Yeah. They could still pick up thirty boys mm-hmm. in a turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a bummer when they lost two of those abilities in ninth. They don't have they still have fight and death, but they can't do it if they've already fought. So mm. they're not nearly as as good. But I still still use them in my list. They, yeah. they have their they have their place. You have the things you love, and it's very hard to put those down. Now, we, we just played a game before recording this because I wanted to get a little bit of a sampling of the, the ninth edition Space Wolves from someone who was very experienced with it. I also had 
really cool models. We have some pictures. I'll be putting them up just kind of during the course of the interview. And let's talk about the game a little bit. Yeah. Like that was okay. First off, that was fun. It was uh, a great game. I, I had a really good time with it. We we basically just decided that we're just gonna kill each other. We're not even gonna bother counting points. Yeah. No we're just objectives. Gonna, yeah. No objectives. We're just gonna set up. And we're gonna fight. And that's what we did. And it was it was. That was rocking. Yeah, it was quite a bloodbath. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me your favorite parts of the game, like, like. Oh, so I mean, we 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 came into this not bringing the most uh, competitive list, you know, some yeah. of the models that we don't get to play with. So I brought my land raider, which almost never sees the table. Um, some of the dreadnoughts, that, well, specifically the name dreadnoughts, because. Mm-hmm. Primarily, I do play at uh, tournaments and competitive events, and for the majority of ninth edition, I've been playing successors because, unfortunately, they are better than regular space wolves at the moment. If you want to be, you know, as getting the most you can out of the space marine book, uh, so I ran Bjorn who and Murderfang who, obviously, you can't run them as successors. Right. So they were in my list. Uh, ran a giant brick of blood claws in the land raider because. Why not? <laughs> uh, but yeah, those were the big, the big units. What am I forgetting? Yeah, those are the big things. One squad of vanguard, some eliminators, but yeah, the, the the bulk of the list there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for me, like I, my, I basically had the the models that I was able to yoink that were already in bags in storage and and bring them out and. Um, but I still managed to bring some of the stuff that I haven't brought a lot during night. I brought Mephiston. I brought my Blood Angel Terminators, who were you know staple units of mine back from seventh edition, and uh, of course I, I always have my Sanguinary Guard. Uh, they're they're really good right now, like especially with Armor of Contempt. Sanguinary Guard really have a even more staying power than maybe they did before. Oh yeah, uh, Armor of Contempt made the game very interesting. A lot of stuff yeah. lived that we were expecting to die. Yeah, I, I mean, turn one was basically like, all right, um, it's it's dread stompy time. And then turn two was literally like if I had to give it a like a movie title, it would be Turn Two, The Emperor Protects. <laughs> yes. we, we just we both rolled ridiculously above average saves because we were really thunking each other with the attacks. And then we would all make miraculous amounts of saves. Yeah, because we weren't into assault doctrine yet so a lot of those ap2 weapons ended up only being ap1 so you're saving on twos or threes or threes or fours still yeah and you roll a little bit hot and all of a sudden only one guy from the squad dies yeah and then like you're you're you know i have my blade guard get eight wounds on your judicar <laughs> and and then he saves seven of them and on four ups and it's like wow oh, yeah. and that ended up being really clutch Oh yeah, they um, stuck around for a while. He just kept saying, "No, you fight last. No, you fight last. Yeah, you fight last again." It happened a few times. Uh, it was uh, what's my brain's name? I'm trying to blame Mephiston. Mephiston yeah, and my yeah. chaplain, who with all the the relic and the buffs, they they fought three or four rounds before the chaplain finally came out on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I was going for broke, I probably should have just. Instead of worrying about swinging at him, just tried to smite him and like psychic power him to death and like withdraw and, and do that kind of stuff. But we were just having a good time fighting. 
Oh, and most definitely. There was there was no running away. I mean, at one point, I chose to interrupt with my wolf and dreadnought <laughs> to save my cyber wolf yes. when I should have tried to kill your blade guard, but mm-hmm. he was trying to kill Fido. Yep. So two cyber wolves. One of them lived. Fido and Spot. Fido. I I took out a lot of aggression that I have for a neighbor's dog that won't stop barking at the wee hours of the morning and the late hours of the night right next to my baby's window. So Fido kind of became the the apex of my aggression towards that animal and uh, did not survive the the wrath. Um, However, he was avenged and Spot, uh, despite being wounded, survived with one (laughs) with one wound at the end of the game. Uh, well, I mean, so, you know, the highlights for me were, were basically came down to some of the ridiculous saves that happened. Albinus in particular. Oh my gosh. Uh, my, my apothecary, I named him Albinus because Mephiston is always accompanied by an apothecary named Albinus in the books. And they're, they're friends. Now, Mephiston doesn't want to believe that they're friends, but Albinus believes they're friends. So it's, it's very, it's cute. But uh, Albinus just, he had some really solid saves oh yeah until he didn't but he he did really well um doing his singular priest apothecary thing where despite the like what is it i'm trying to think. say 35 or 45 points to give him a jump pack it's preposterous wow it's a lot but you you do that he flies around and he brought back uh two blade guard veteran models and yeah. heal, healed some wounds on Mephiston over yeah. the course of the game. We were saying how tough they were. I finally killed one. And then I'm reminded that Blood Angels, unlike Space Wolves, can bring an apothecary. <laughs> and he just brings them back to life. I uh, get knocked down. <clears throat> yeah, anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was that was fun. It was good. I love seeing your dreadnoughts. You have great conversions on them. Even on the box dreads, you put, like, the contemptor legs on them. So they're a little, they're a little taller. Than oh, yeah, the, the stumpy legs. I can't. See, can't do it anymore. I just I love the the I love the old box dreads, even with the stumpy legs. It's it's I love it, but I <laughs> I think that yours look really cool. Thank you. Uh, I think it's it's really awesome, and people will see that on the photos. They'll just see like the love and the care that you put into the army, and I I had a really good time rolling dice. I I I conceded to him after round three. Uh, we were we were kicking the the tar out of each other. Oh yeah. I I really think that he would have pulled it out. Um, and he was ahead in some crucial ways, but, um, yeah, we yeah. got to a spot where I had three dreads at full life and with armor of contempt and minus one damage, it would have been tough to, yeah, it would have been to tough finish to him off, that. but we, we definitely killed a bunch of the, it's both just, armies is like right from round one. We both just got stuck in and we're just fighting each other. There's oh, a yeah. big brouhaha. Uh, off this the side of this piece of terrain and, and kind of like this narrow channel area and that it felt so authentic to what both of our factions are trying to do oh yeah that i'm real happy with it it was it was a really good time so appreciate you taking the time to, to roll dice with me and teach me a little bit about what to expect oh yeah it was a lot of fun it was a uh, really fun playing without objectives and secondaries it was a nice change of pace just because you know, bookkeeping, which was fun, mm-hmm. uh, and you're not having to worry about, oh, I would like to kill you, but I need to stand three inches to the left because that's actually yeah. worth more points. Yeah. If I stand here, uh, I will score these points, even though you'll kill me next round, but those points are important. So. Yeah, it, it's a nice change of pace to 
to switch it up sometimes like that. Yeah, no, it was fun. I agree. And it was, it was nice because especially with the stuff that's been going on, with like the remodel that is probably everyone's like, what is that noise? But uh, not having the, the space to game as much and the, the capacity and everything, being able to set up and roll dice and being able to like get back into the game in a really relaxed kind of a way mm-hmm. and focus on the fun. That was, that was good for my heart, man. That was good for my soul. Yeah. No, I'm glad we were able to work it out. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I observed of, you know, playing against space wolves in, in ninth edition, because I, I played against them a lot in seventh. So we, we talked about the days of the bark, bark star yeah. and, and a lot of the, the space wolf allied combination things like what dark wolf star, where there was the like the the Dark Angels characters and yeah, the Space Wolf characters in, a, in the same unit running around. I think I'm glad that I missed most of that. So I came in at the tail end of seventh, just enough to learn the basics. Then eighth came out, but I was not up on the ridiculous combos that you could mm-hmm. <laughs> create combining all the different factions into one. I only learned about it in mm-hmm. hindsight. But I think it's cool that especially in in ninth edition but starting part way through like i would say that towards the tail end of eighth the incentive to play your own stuff like to play the one book stuff and mm-hmm. the rules that you keep because you get to do that provided a really effective incentive for people to uh have viable full monofaction armies Oh, yeah, it's, it was a very interesting change, uh, especially, I mean, it was supported by the rules in Games Workshop, but also through the ITC with the best in faction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best in faction change mm-hmm. happened first, and then the rules sort of followed. But at one point uh, in 8th, I was running Space Wolves, and I have a Space Wolf Knight house, all converted knights, uh, and I was running that for a while, which was fun and cool, but as soon as the ITC and then the rules switched, I haven't done that. Ironically enough, it seems like that's going to be an option again mm. <laughs> with the new Nightbook that's uh, coming out shortly. Yeah, with the free blade. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good thing, too, especially because people, people talk about knights like they, like they broke the game when they came out, like knights and wraith knights and stuff back in 7th. And I, I never really thought that knights broke the game, but it, it certainly created a couple bad matchups. But it created more bad matches for the night player, I think, than it than for the the other player. And knights right now are I don't know that they have a good matchup. You know? If they do, not many. But yeah, I, I haven't really played them much since the switch to the pures for the past I guess the end of eighth and now all of ninth. It's just been you know, pure pure space wolves with no allies. Which has been really fun to do, especially since you're seeing that in most of your matchups. There are occasionally people that'll play soup still, but I'd say nine games out of ten or more against other pure armies, which is, Mm -hmm. it's fun to see. It's easier to keep track of. It's less weird rules interactions. So I I like it for the most part. Yeah, no, I I like it too. I was mostly sticking to monofaction anyway. I remember when there was the Loyal 32. Oh, yeah. where it was like everybody wants to just bring 32 guardsmen, you know, the two HQs and the and the 30, you know, three squads of 10 bros, mm-hmm. so that you could, you know, score objectives and it was good for zoning out and stuff. And I I I didn't really like that. And I I've always had trouble, like you you talk about converting up your 
your knights to be space wolves. I think that that's a really cool way of, of keeping the engagement with your faction, mm-hmm. converting and making things feel like they belong when, when you're playing that. But I always struggled with, with that for myself, uh, trying to make things that weren't blood angels be blood angels. Yeah, I I was doing a lot of mental gymnastics at the time. I, oh, I that's had, not a criticism. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to confess to something. Well, no, I, I get what you're saying, but I wanted it to be because the hobby is important to me. So I I try and stay up to date on the meta. I do enjoy going to tournaments, and I like to be competitive as much as I can. Yeah, but I do stick to space wolves. You stick with what you love. Yeah, so I I did run the loyal thirty two for a time, and I was looking for models to basically be. I was looking for more or less Viking models because yeah. I wanted my loyal 32 to be like the regular old humans on Fenris. Yeah. And I was going to just give them, you know, spears and axes and say, those are las guns. Cause I wanted it to mm. fit the part, but then they changed the rules and I didn't have to run the loyal 32 anymore. So that project never ended up happening and it would have been fun, I guess, but I was trying to stay immersive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's pretty cool because that, that's more effort than just even just buying and painting something. It's like you, you like wolves enough that you're going to, if you want to run knights or if you want to run the loyal 32, that you want them to look like they fit in with your army. Mm-hmm. And there is this part of me too, that wants to build auxiliaries around like for ball, because the narrative around ball right now is that it's becoming a, a capital world, yeah, like a sector capital world. And so now, there's a hive city building up around oh, the wow. fortress monastery. And there's like a, a major, like like a major battle fleet sized docking port. Okay. That's above the planet now. And it's just, and, and it, it was there before, but kind of at a scaled down version for the chapter, but now it's like they're expanding it and they're making it big. And, and the idea that there would be like a dedicated all human army yeah, they'd have then, a planetary defense force or a guard regiment mm-hmm. or whatever. So I've been looking around at the different worlds in that part of the, the, the system, or mm-hmm. not the system, like the, the segmentum, and like the Lucius Forge world is there, which is really cool because those guys have, they, they basically are like in a three-quarters done Dyson sphere. Okay. Um, you know, where it's a star and that they built like a, a small pulsar or something that they've built a world around and they harvest its energy and that's, okay. how they, that's how they do their stuff. And so I started thinking like, well, that's the closest major forge world in proximity. It's, it's actually really close. Well, maybe, maybe a Lucius forge world detachment with some blood angel honors would be fun. Um, but I haven't actually gotten around to do any of that, but you, you could very easily do that with your own stuff. Like with the stuff that you've made, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, maybe one day it'll end up happening with the, the guard, but it has happened with the Knights. I've got the 2,000 points worth of Knights now. I've got a Castellan, uh, two of the, I guess, Crusader size, fully magnetized, and then mm-hmm. six of the Armager chassis, and they're yeah. all they're all totally converted. I've got uh, some custom, custom sculpted stuff, 3D bits on there, and uh, a lot of conversion stuff from mm-hmm. the Dreadnought kits. So yeah, they, Dreadnoughts they, are great. Like they're your dreadnought kits are fantastic, like vehicle oh, and night night conversion fodder. I think I've bought six or seven of the the Space Wolf Venerable Dread kit because that makes the the Vendred, the Wolf and Dread, Murderfang, and Bjorn, and then yeah, you get so many cool bits from that kit as well. So I've uh, spent a pretty penny 
with Games Workshop on that kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure that they're very grateful. So let's let's switch gears a bit. Let's talk a little bit about like the narrative of the Space Wolves. Like, what what is your favorite Space Wolf story? Like, who's your favorite Space Wolf character? Tell me a little bit about the things that in in the lore that's that speak to you. Um, <clears throat> so at, at first, I was drawn to them for gameplay, and then the lore kind of came after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really cool, though. Um, so I've read all the 30k Space Wolf books, um, Prospero Burns, and A Thousand Sons are the big ones. Uh, Lehman Russ has his own Primark book, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I love that one. I want to know what happens after that. Because um, <laughs> he ends up, he's like, no, we don't need to defend Terra. I guess, spoiler alert. Uh, I'm just going to go kill uh, Horus. Yeah, I'm just going to go try and kill Horus. It's, it's easy. By myself. Yeah, easy peasy. Oh, I guess I'll bring Dad's spear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, why not? And so you, you haven't read Wolfsbane yet then? No, I have. Oh, you have. But I, I mean, I want to know the after after that part because mm-hmm. you know he does almost do it. He's yeah. like, you know, Horus is fully powered up, and he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna go kill him. I got this spear. Why not? And <laughs> they have a pretty epic battle, and he he cuts him, uh, and then you know, in in classic 40k fashion, they neither kill each other and they both escape yes yes i honestly i feel really bad for guy haley being saddled with that story because they they gave him an impossible task it's like yeah we need we need because they had already written i believe it at some point that that the injuries that russ sustained in that battle took him out of commission yeah the remnants of his legion were under siege at a at a particular world and then the raven guard came came to help and and I remember reading the story where Korax comes to this, like, it's almost like this table, like this tomb table that Russ is laying on. He's having like fever dreams about the end of the universe or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember that and thinking like, what happened? How did it get here? How did, how did he, he got wounded by horse? I don't remember them fighting. What yeah. the, and then Wolfsbane came out, I think a year or two after that. And I, I was like, oh, so this is what happened. This is, he had to make this happen. Yeah, it was, guy Haley. It, it made for a little bit of an awkward ending. I still like the book. I mean, I'm a fanboy, so mm-hmm. I I can do the mental gymnastics to to make it happen. <laughs> uh, I still enjoyed the book, but yeah, he they had an epic battle. Neither kill each other. He did scratch him, you know, cut him with the spear, so he's not invincible. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how that one ended up. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What about modern 40k? Like, who are your favorite modern 40k characters? Uh, Bjorn is. I love Bjorn because he not only he's modern that's and <laughs> he, he was there. He was there with Ian Russ. He's he's well, he's kind of there now. He likes to take a lot of naps. Which I also relate to, uh, but yeah, Dreadnought Bjorn's very cool. But you know, Ragnar's the OG for me. Uh, some of the other characters are very cool. You were telling me some stuff about Lucas that I actually didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ragnar's the boy for me, and uh, he is Primaris now, which I'm okay with. I know some people no, have his strong... model looks great. He's oh, got yeah. a great Primaris 100%. model, and you know, it's it's very much 100% Space Wolf you know, embiggerized. Oh yeah. He he's he feels like he fits in with the rest of the bespoke space wolf stuff. Oh, yeah. And so my, my and and we've talked about this so like my my biggest complaint is that most of the primaris doesn't look like it fits in the new stuff. Yeah. Unless you really 
really work at it. Yeah. You got to do a lot of converting to make your Primaris look like they're not just Primaris, you know, with a different paint job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did a great job with Ragnar's model. His books are my favorite from the more, uh, the modern or the current 40K stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. The Space Wolf Omnibus is a great place to start because you follow Ragnar's journey from being a regular human on Fenris to mm-hmm. being selected uh, to be a Space Wolf. They have a cool, interesting recruiting process, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it follows his whole journey from being... Uh, you know, a little blood claw and then starts working his way up the ranks to being a wolf lord where he's at now. I should I should pick that up then. I, I haven't read the Space Wolf Omnibus. I've read a bunch of other stuff. Like I read Lucas's book, which is where the fun facts came from. And <laughs> there's um, there's the Blood of Asaheim series, which was my first Space Wolf like book series. Blood of Asaheim was the very first book that I read where I was just like, I'm going to try and give these guys a shot, uh-huh. you know? And that was back before I was doing audiobooks. That was when I was doing regular books. I could still sit and read and had time for that. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days, but um, I finished that series in preparation for this show. And I really, it was interesting seeing space wolves fighting because there's a lot of fighting Nurgle. Okay. Right there. Um, but there's also this idea because the, the main character has been seconded to the Death Watch, and he spent like fifty years or something in the Death Watch, several decades, uh-huh. and and comes back, and he's having a hard time fitting back in with where he left off. And you meet Ragnar in the beginning, you know, because he's part of Ragnar's great company. Uh-huh. Uh But Ragnar wasn't the, the Wolf Lord when he left. Okay. So he's it, it's it's a very interesting like way of of being that sort of a reader proxy mm-hmm. that so this guy, he should belong. He, 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 he grew up in it. He did all the things, you know, he, he had, he has his special relic sword, uh-huh. you know, that, that was honor gifted to him for his deeds in battle and stuff. So he's, he's in it and he comes back and he has a hard time fitting in. He has to kind of relearn all that stuff and what it means to be part of a pack. I was going to say, I haven't actually read that specific one, but the way that the pack structure works with the space wolves, it would be weird, I can imagine, because you don't just get promoted to a new squad or something. Mm-hmm. You're with your pack uh-huh. from the beginning, and that's that's, that's your, your pack. So if yeah. you leave for what do you say, fifty years? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, sure they'll they'll accept you back in, but that's a long time to mm-hmm. be away. So yeah. So it it was it was very interesting from from that perspective. Just what. Like how how you as the reader got to experience and and for me where I hadn't read any of the other stuff yet mm-hmm. that for me coming into it it's just like okay I can I I feel like I belong but I also feel like I'm learning new things so that that was my and of course Chris Rate's an amazing author yeah he does a fantastic job with the wolves um, just like he's done an amazing job with White Scars oh yeah oh my gosh that guy is brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm in the. I'm just getting started on Warhawk right now. I'm current on Siege of Terra before that, but yeah, the the White Scars are my favorite mm-hmm. through the Siege of Terra. And you know, every time I turn the page, I'm hoping for. I mean, I know probably nothing's going to happen, but I'm like, maybe there'll be some space walls that turn up somehow. <laughs> uh, I don't really think that's going to happen, but you never know. <laughs> uh, but for now, the the White Scars, though, they're my favorites that are helping to defend Terra there. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm always looking for Sanguinius because I can only look for him for so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but 
I, I completely understand where you're going for there. And the scars are cool. And I, I think that if you like what Chris has done with, with the scars, you'll probably really like what he did with this, with the series as well. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, definitely recommend it. And then, of course, Wolf Time, which up until today was the latest installment in the new Dawn of Fire series, which is like the Indominus Crusade. Okay, I haven't series. read that one either. You've... <laughs> You've you've done more homework than me. <laughs> my I've done different homework than you. I've done different homework than you. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting. It, it's almost that same sort of thing like Blood of Asheim, except it's it's a Primaris trying to get accepted <laughs> with the wolves, and and so Primaris who wasn't born on Fenris, and everyone okay. just kind of like, yeah. How how would that dynamic? Yeah, work? when the Primaris and, first came out, that was always going to be the question. Was how the well all of the chapters, but well, the wolves in particular were gonna accept those guys. I really liked how that how that came out. I'm not gonna spoil any of it for you, but the story of that was very engaging for me. I got very invested in that character mm-hmm. for that book, despite you know this being the third book in the series, and he was brand new, and uh, I immediately like latched on him as like my favorite of the characters that have been talked about so far. Okay. So I, I think that I think that he's really cool and definitely recommend that. Yeah, I've got some audible credits. So as soon as I finish Warhawk, I'll uh, get some of those other ones on my list. Oh, that book was the, the biggest tease because <laughs> the community page didn't even explain it. There was just a, a headline on Warhammer Community and it said, you know, new release, Wolf Time. And of course, every baseball fan was like, the what time? What, what, did you, what did you just say? Uh, is, this, is, is this Lehman Russ model? What's what's happening? Because uh, Lehman Russ is supposed to come back during the wolf time. And I haven't read the book, but I'm assuming uh, they did not find Lehman Russ in that book. I'm pretty sure the space wolf groups would have told you. Yeah, that was, that's, the case. That was my not thought. Not that I would tell you now, but I'm kind of telling you now that didn't happen. Okay. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of feel like the book was a little mistitled. But... Um, Perhaps they're trying to be smarter, you know, like the, there's probably the business side is like, we call this the wolf time. They're going to think the breast is coming back and they're going to buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there's probably the, the, well, let's, but what does that mean? What does wolf time mean? And, and I echo that question. What does wolf time mean? That's got to be like the worst 40K naming thing that ever happened was calling. Yeah. <laughs> it was instead of just calling it Ragnarok. <laughs> or, or, or some kind of like oh, Ragnafang or oh, instead no. of Ragnarok. Right? Yeah, I can't even I defend that the naming choices there. <laughs> saying I will be there for the end, for the wolf time. It's like, well, what makes it a wolf time? Well, you'll know when Lehman, when Lehman Russ shows up. Lehman, listen, I've, I've got to, anyway, I, I have complaints about that particular naming convention and that's that. Now, in the other the other segment on the show, you know, I, I already kind of go into why I struggled to connect with with Space Wolves myself. But Lucas the Trickster's book actually converted me a little bit. And if if my setup was done, I would have as a like a creative exercise to get ready for the show. I would have painted up a Lucas model okay. if I could find one. But um, I, I think that I will probably dabble in in Space Wolves. I will probably make my own successor though that takes the the wolf out yeah so to speak that focuses more on on the runes and on the norse side of things 
yeah. rather than the, the werewolf side. And no, no hate to the people who really get into that. It's just not, it doesn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you can go, there's a, a lot of, you can do as far as hobby when you want to do space wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't even mind the pelts or anything. The pelts are fine, but it's just like. Yeah, I mean, there's, because my wolves you'll see, I guess, on the pictures, but the, I don't like the baby blue, the, the current uh, 40K yeah. codex version. I've got more of a, the 30K vibe with the, with the darker gray. Uh, I still have the yellow shoulder pad, um, but I, I like the dark gray much more than the, than the baby blue. Yeah, for mine, I think what I'm going to do is, because um, if you look at, at the old like, tapestries and things that depict the, the Vikings invading the Saxons in England, everybody had really colorful tunics yeah like, but i don't think that like i'm ragnar and this is my technicolor wolf coat is really <laughs> going to be like a, a good a good thing but what i want to do is is white like snow for the armor but make it really dirty like, oh yeah that could be cool yeah make it dirty and then have the bright colors on the squad shoulder shoulder guards so keep some of the patterns, maybe some of the cross the cross patterns like you see on the round shields yeah. where it's, it's quartered and you've got like keep those patterns and use those for the shoulder pads for the colors. And, that could be really cool. And I think that and then just try and get rid of a lot of the excessive wolfiness. Just rename everybody. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of names and things like Rune Guard or something like that. Yeah, that'd or be very cool. Runal Yod or something like that. I'm not sure. but. Um, I, I do think that the wolves are cool. I love reading them um, in the novels, even if the codex sometimes makes me cringe. Uh, <laughs> wolf. Uh, but the uh, I, I I say that with 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 a, a, an affection born from a teasing respect. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for taking the time to share your, your passion for the faction with me on the show and for coming up and rolling dice with me. It was a real good time. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. I, had, I definitely had a blast. We'll have to do that again. Uh, there's something really freeing about doing just a game that's doesn't have a, you don't need an accountant for. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. Definitely a nice change of pace. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show again sometime. Maybe, maybe you can be my why I love Knights guy. I don't, I don't have a Knights guy lined up. Hey, that'd be a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, it'd be good times. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll call it there. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this long, back breaking episode of the Chief Librarian Podcast. For the conclusion of this episode, so far as announcements go, hopefully I'll have a report on how War Games for Warriors went. Additionally, for the next episode, it is going to be a nostalgia-themed episode. Thankfully, I already have half of that finished, so hopefully it shouldn't take too long before it's ready to release. I hope that you are all enjoying the hobby, and I will speak to you next time. Hey, you. Yes, you. Right there. You are listening to the Frontline Gaming Network. So what does that mean? That means that you have access to a bunch of different and interesting shows. Right now, I'm listening to a lot of Signals from the Frontline because who has time nowadays to follow on your own and get all of the latest news in the gaming hobby? It is streamed 
every Wednesday, and I never catch it for the stream, but I do catch it later. I especially enjoy Kicker's commentary. He is 40k Hype Man USA, and I challenge anyone, I dare you, to try and prove me wrong or to upstage the hype that is Kicker Kalosny. So, with my recommendation in hand, go and listen to Signals from the Frontline on the Frontline Gaming Network. I am Chris Morgan, and you are listening to a Creative Commons licensed podcast, Some Rights Reserved.